Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 non-stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout and he plants one. Way back! It's one out. Pete he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is A's Cast Live. The A's have a day off, but we don't have a day off. We don't take days off. And we have a phenomenal show for you. Kerry Crowley, who covers the San Francisco Giants for the Bay Area News Group, will join us at 4.30. Ben Ross, who covers the athletics for NBC California, will be here at 5 o'clock. A guy that you know and you love, and he's one of the coolest guys of all time. Barry Zito will be here at 5.30. And then we're going to have one of the voices of the San Francisco Giants. And he's, you know, one of the main guys for ESPN these days. You see him all over. Dave Fleming is going to join us. So we'll have Flem to talk a little bit about this series coming up. So Crowley at 4.30. We're going to have Ross at 5. Barry Zito at 5.30. Dave Fleming at 6. And then you never know what else could come up. But I can tell you what, on an off day, it's amazing the kind of stuff that you can get done. Is getting a lot of business done on this off day. You know, yesterday was yesterday was a fun game. The Athletics got the victory. They got the shutout. That was good. Chris Bassett after the game was hilarious. As he did the interview with Vince Catronio. By the way, uh, Southside references by our uh, beloved broadcasters, uh, 32. So they hit the over. So we were playing a little game because I don't know if you guys noticed this, but I've noticed this over the years. Whenever they talk about, and and we now get it with the, the Cubs on the north side, but we always hear our guys say south side. 
So we put out a competition to see how many times they would say they'd reference the south side of Chicago. I put the over and under at 30. They, 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 I, I, I thought they were going to blow way past it because on, like, the first day, they said south side like 14 times. I thought the – but they ended up with 32 on the day, 32 in three games, the south side of Chicago, if you were paying attention. Did anybody, did anybody predict 32 on the uh, 510-897-1322 text line? I'd have to go back and check, but I don't think so. Uh, you had 30. I had the big hurt, 35. And uh, so we got kind of right in the middle. 32 and a half will be in the middle for us. So Okay, so something that I forgot to tell you, and I need to remind you, this is Commander Cody, my producer. You cannot leave our board on mute. Because what happens is, is I come in here to do the pregame show, and I can't hear myself. I can't hear the – and next thing you know, it was panic on, on Saturday. Absolutely. Like, I don't know. Everything's set up the right way. We were all on mute. You had us on panic alert. Was that Robert who was on panic alert? Or was <laughs> yes. it Pastorino? That would be Robert who was on uh, panic alert. He did a fantastic job monitoring the Southside references for us, though. Robert Costa had the best week. He had he had, Robert had the best – weekend of his career like if i could give out an emmy award to robert costa i would be giving him an emmy if i could give him a trophy if there was a trophy for for producers on and i don't know what it would be i don't know if, I, if it was a medal or what i would give it to him because robert costa was phenomenal i guess a good payment would be to take a day off robert or or i'll buy him a beer now scott pastorino on sunday i'm worried scott missed some because Robert was truly paying attention. Scott may not care as much, so it could be over 32, but our final count is 32. Bassett yesterday, seven innings, obviously didn't give up a run. It was a shutout to zip, the eighth shutout of the year. Had seven Ks, and then after the game, it was hilarious. He tells Vince Catronio, yeah, it's my best fastball, but the rest of my stuff was crap. <laughs> and Bassett is... He's really fascinating when you watch him pitch. You know, he, his mechanics, as we talk to him here on A's Cast Live from the field, his mechanics are all over the place. So there's sometimes when there's nobody on, all of a sudden he'll start going from the stretch. Because when you go from the stretch, your, your mechanics are more simplistic. And he's just, he's just kind of, he's all over the place. But it works for him. He's effectively wild. He's the prey manis. He's all he's just all arms and legs, and it's tough for the hitters to pick it up. And yesterday, when he says he has his best fastball, and you're seeing 95, 96, topped out at 97. And he's kind of all over the place. That's tough to hit. And I know everybody right now is like super excited that Jesus Jesus Lazardo is throwing again. But I, I, I asked an interesting question. I'll throw it out to you, and you can respond by texting in at 510-897-1322. When Jesus Lazardo gets here, we know what a special talent he is. But when he gets here, he's going to be a starter. That's the thing. So David Force, and you heard that a while back on the David Force show, that Puck will be coming as a reliever. But when Lazardo comes, he's going to be a starter. 
Well, who do you take out of the rotation? 510-897-1322. Text in. Give your opinion. And don't put Bassett on there because there's no way I'm taking him out of the rotation. Bassett's a power arm. He's 8-5 with a 3.56 ERA. He was so disappointed. You know, the A's are lucky. The A's are really lucky here. Because he had that Tommy John surgery and he missed a season, he was one of these guys that got stuck with a fourth option. So the A's were able to option him down, and he was he was not happy about it. Because he'd be pitching on another team right now if, if with the option game. Someone would have picked him up in a second if he was out of options, and you didn't want him here. And he'd be pitching for somebody else. Thank, thank God he got that extra uh, for, for us as A's fans. I mean, that was a blessing because you could send him down, get him right, bring him back up, and now look. And when I did the interview with him in Japan, and I even went around. I went, I, I went around. I went to David Force. I said, hey, David, I, I, is it cool that I talk about this? Because Mingdon was not happy about it. Bassett wasn't happy about it. And it's not the, it's, it's the A's playing the game. It's their right to do it. I mean, really what Bassett and Mingdon, they're, 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 they're mad at the system. So David Force was like, yeah, you can talk to him about it. It is what it is. But it allowed Bassett to get right, come back. I told him in Japan doing the interview, I'm like, you're going to be back and you're going to help this team. I have always believed in him. I've always been a fan of him. And I know the numbers didn't always look good, but that's kind of one of those where you gotta you gotta you gotta use the eye test. Because when 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 you looked at the eye test, he's not a reliever. So you gotta give him his starts. And he's got twenty starts this year and he is delivering at eight and five with a three point five six ERA. See the problem was two thousand sixteen when they brought him up and he got lit up a little bit, but he wasn't right. 2015, he started some games, came out of the bullpen, and that was the same thing last year. But last year he delivered. He had a 3.02 ERA. But now, I'm not taking this guy out of the rotation. You're crazy. You're not taking Mike Fires out of the rotation. Mike Fires has been arguably the best pitcher in baseball. And that's just not me saying it as an A's fan. That's me saying it as, look at the numbers. Fires last 17 games as 9 and 0 with a 2.12 ERA. 19 consecutive starts with 3 runs or fewer. And as Matt, Matt Vaskersian said on Friday, yeah, it sounds weird, but it's not wrong to say he's been the best pitcher in baseball recently. No one's numbers are that good. His numbers are off the charts. So you're not taking Fires out of the rotation. Roark, you just acquired. You're not taking him out of the rotation. You're not taking Brett Anderson out of the rotation with the way he's thrown. I mean, the only dicey question then would be for this front office, do you want Homer Bailey or you'd want Jesus Lazardo? What are you going to want down the stretch? 
I guess that would be the call. But if Jesus, I mean, Jesus Lazardo, when he's ready, he's one of those guys that you want to say once he comes up, he's never going back down. That's the, that, that's the kind of arm Jesus Lazardo is. You know, like we've talked with a lot of top prospects. You know, Matt Chapman comes up, never going back down. Obviously, that didn't happen with Matt Olson as he was up, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And actually, that breaks a lot of guys like it has for Franklin Barreto. It made him stronger. I wonder how much Matt Olson could actually help Franklin Barreto because that's the tough thing. When you're going up and down, up and down, AAA, back, and then you get up here and you don't get your at-bats, you lose your confidence really, really fast, it breaks guys. But in the end, it didn't for Matt Olson. So that's why when you get Jesus, I mean, Jesus comes up and pitches in, in meaningful games. Well, all of a sudden, yeah, this guy's in the rotation for the next X amount of years. That's the kind of player he is. So that would be a dicey call. And you can give us your opinion at 510-897-1322. That's 510-897-1322. Don't call. We don't take calls on this show. But the way we can interact with you is through texting. So two out of three from the Chicago White Sox, a day off. And then it's now the San Francisco Giants. I think we might have found out one of the issues that the A's have. Because we, we've been looking at some numbers, and you got you got to delve into the numbers. Why do the A's not score runs when they don't hit a home run? Now, they score a lot of runs when they hit a home run. Their record is way better when they hit a home run. When they don't, they normally lose. I think we might have found that answer. And we'll have that for you coming up right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, here's Chris Townsend. So MLB came out with their top 10 power rankings. A's are not in there. The A's have a record of 67 and 51. But they've got the Nationals at 10. They're at 62 and 55. They've got the Mets at ninth, and the Mets are 61-67. Both teams have worse records than the Athletics, and they're in the top ten and the A's aren't. What's wrong with that? I don't get that, even though you know we're loving some Mets. Told you. Mets are no day at the beach. You want no part of the New York Mets right now. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. I mean, it's unbelievable. Bring your kitties. Bring your wife. Bring your, kitties, bring your wife. Now, that tells you how old school that song is. Hey, men, you're coming to the game. Bring your wife and kids. I don't think uh, marketing, but you're in marketing meetings. Would that, would, that, would that be able to go down these days in marketing there, Commander Cody? Uh, I don't think so. I think it would just say bring the family. He had a marketing meeting today. Two of them. Well, one of them I was only on for about 15 minutes after we uh, recorded something. But other than that, I had one this morning, every Monday, 930. Oh. I'm there. 
A lot of praise for uh, the Italian Stallion. <laughs> there was. Wow. All the hard work he did out, out in Vallejo. Hardest working man in radio. At Six Flags, yeah. Yeah, he set up a tent and a table and then couldn't take it down. And then, he'd ha- then he needed some big-time help taking it down. And then while we had to lug all the stuff back, he got on the golf cart. Yeah. And I had to buy him lunch. Apparently, though, I guess karma got him. Uh, I heard this during the meeting that whenever the driver of the golf cart was doing a donut, his Ray-Bans fell off, and the driver ran over his yeah, $200 Ray-Ban. Yeah, so, that did suck. Oh, tough break, oh, oh, kid. Oh, oh, and he had to ride rides while we did four hours of radio. But thank you for, for everything that, that he does. Thank you, Billy Bean. Yeah, thank you, Billy Bean. So, yeah, the Mets now are only a game back of the wild card. But how do they have the Mets and the Rays? All right, he, here's the thing. We found this, like, right before the show. Because, like yesterday, in the postgame show, I went over it. I'm like, hey, these guys just don't score runs unless they hit a home run. And I'm like, why is that? There has to be a reason. Like, why? What is it? Well, do they strike out a ton? No, they're one of the better teams in making contact. That that So, immediately that makes me go, okay, what's really good? Because if they don't strike out a lot, because I, I immediately thought that was going to be it. And I think since we watch so many strikeouts now that, you just think everybody's striking out a ton. And actually, not everybody strikes out a ton. And the A's are one of the better teams at making contact. So then what's the deal? And I'm going to go to the box score from yesterday's game that I used, uh, the example of oh, – actually, I should just go to their team page. When you go to the Astros team page and you click on their stats, and everybody with their I-don't-care-about-batting-average routine these days – let me just tell you something about the Houston Astros. Let's go down all their main guys. Alvarez hitting 355. Brantley hitting 323. Altuve hitting 304. Gurriel hitting 300. Correa's hitting 297. Springer's hitting 296. Bregman's hitting 276. Diaz hitting 276. And even Josh Reddick's hitting 270. Now, not only are these guys making contact, they hit for power. They put the ball in play. They hit for power, and that's why they're and they strike out the least. That's why they're that's why they're unbeatable. And then we looked at something. Well, wait a minute. If the A's aren't striking out, why is it they can't score if they don't hit home runs? And the commander found it. It's this simple. The A's just don't hit with runners on. The A's are hitting 253, which ranks 22nd in baseball. There's 21 teams ahead of the A's that hit better when runners are on. They don't. That's why the home run is so key to them. Now, if I would have given you that simple average like a month ago or two months ago, you would have said, ah, big deal. But we're now in August. We're almost mid-August. We basically have a, sea, uh, a month and a half left. And I have to think, after all of these games, you are kind of what you are at this point. There's no waiver wire process where you can claim somebody. No. This is, this is who you are. 
And so that's a good thing for some people, and it's a scary thing for another. Because Davis Chris Davis continues to struggle. Trine and Trevino continue to struggle. Profar. I went over this whole thing on Profar yesterday as Profar threw one into the dugout. And it seems that like not everybody agreed because they'll be like, hey, look, he's got 51 RBIs. He's hit some home runs, but he hasn't really been hitting lately. So some guys on the team scare me because how many people struggle for four months and then all of a sudden the light goes on and everything's fine again? And the A's need, the, you know, the a, that, that's something they, Chris Davis, I, I think a runner, Chris Davis, the last couple of years, has hit such, so many big home runs. And he's had so many big hits. I don't have it in front of me, but you go to like last year, go like the last three years, how many of his home runs either tied the game or put the put the team in the lead? How many game-winning, how many hits won games or put the team ahead? There's a ton. Chris Davis was a monster. He was truly one of the scariest guys to come to the plate. Now, he didn't play yesterday. And Chris Davis, he's getting benched. Because you, you feel like you got a better option, Robbie Grossman? That would have never happened last year. How do you get Chris going? I mean, he hasn't been going for months. So that's when I, I, I look at these guys, and, and, and I want to think they can snap out of it. But what's, what's in front of us to say they are going to snap out of it? Because we have this long body of work of struggling. But if Chris Davis was matching last year's Chris Davis or any of the past three years, I guarantee you the A's would score more runs when they don't hit home runs. Every, 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 the whole lineup dynamic changes when, when the monster Chris Davis is in there. How you're going to pitch to everybody is going to – because you know he's lurking. That's what happens when you have a, 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 an offensive threat, when you have one of the better offensive players in the game. You always know he's lurking. You're always looking as a pitcher, as as a as a pitching coach, a manager, making decisions. Who was that guy where you go, we can't let this guy beat us? If you had to circle somebody in the lineup and say, I'm not going to let this guy beat me, that's Chris Davis. And we continually saw people pitch to him, and he just he just killed him. And it was like, why do you pitch to him? How many, how many opposite field home runs do you need to see? Like, how many home runs do the Rangers or the Mariners or, or the Angels give up to Chris Davis before they realize, we're not pitching to this guy? Chris Davis is a monster, but just he hasn't been that guy. When are we going to see that guy? And you've got a tough stretch of games coming up here. I'm hoping they'll just go in and work the Giants because the Giants' offense, when the A's offense is going, the Giants' offense shouldn't be able to play with them. But there's there, there's been the inconsistencies, and they haven't been they haven't been firing on all cylinders. Can they get? And if you're going to win in the postseason, everything's got to be working: starters, defense, pitching, bullpen. 
It's all got to be working. I found this note, which is I kind of was scratching my head on. Tampa Bay. Guess where Tampa is? Tampa is in San Diego. They're in San Diego for the first time in 15 years. The last time Tampa Bay played the Padres, they were the Devil Rays. And the Padres were wearing their new logo celebrating the new ballpark, Petco Park, in downtown San Diego. That's how long ago it was Tampa played the Padres. Here's the problem. So the Rays, I I love it on this note, the Rays arrive in seaside San Diego riding a wave, get it, of 12 wins in 15 games. They've scored 84 runs and 27 dingers during that time. But here's the note I want everybody to think about with the Rays and the wild card for the A's. The A's got the Giants, Astros, Yankees, Giants. Tampa, they're taking on the bottom feeders right now. Tampa's in a stretch. I don't don't think a lot of people know this. This is their ninth game. Okay? Ninth game of 21 straight against teams with losing records. So 21 straight games, they're playing teams that are bad. And this is the ninth ninth straight out of 21 straight. And the Rays are 39 and 18 during that time. No, excuse me. They're 39 and 18 against teams with losing records. So you the A's have monsters coming to town. You've got the Astros. You've got the Yankees. While the Rays, well, let's just see who that we know. They got San Diego. Let's see what are the bad teams they got going here. Because this is who you're this is who you're chasing. So when you're when you're playing Verlander, they're getting they're getting a crappy guy. Most likely. Oh my God. It's worse than I thought. Oh my God. You're not going to believe what Tampa's schedule looks like. So you got three against the bad Padres. You've got three against one of the worst teams historically, the Detroit Tigers. I have proof. Then you play the god awful Mariners for three. And then they've got Baltimore, who's historically bad. So they go Padres, Tigers, Mariners, Orioles. Oh, that is not good. God, why did I even look at that? Now I'm going to be depressed. We have a full show to do, and I'm going to be depressed. By the way, the schedule's come out for uh, schedule came out for next year. Athletics are going to be taking on the NL East. Okay, so while the the Rays are taking on the Padres, Tigers, Mariners, Orioles. All those teams are garbage. The A's are taking on Giants, Astros, Yankees, Giants. You get a break for four on the road to Kansas City. But then you got Yankees again. It's nice. You know, there's a four-game stretch against Detroit in September. That'll be nice. The A's will kind of end really well, by the way. 
They're going to end on the road, but who knows what the Angels are going to look like at that point. And the Mariners, you end up with four. It might be it might be you got to sweep those four games to possibly still be in this thing to uh, potentially get in a wild card game. You may have to sweep the Mariners in Seattle, four games. But the Rays, the Rays, the Rays have two of the worst baseball teams of all time. There's a chance that you could see the Tigers break the record, their own record, of the worst American League record of all time. 109. They've got to win at least, was it nine games from here on out? Think about how bad they are. We're saying they got to win nine games just to not match their record of 119 losses. As the Orioles creep in on 258 home runs, they're now 15 away. No, sorry, 14 away. The, the Orioles gave up four more dingers today to the Yankees. That, that's correct. And they got a doubleheader. They got another yeah, game. They're losing 3 nothing, but it was a three-run triple a three run triple by Brett Gardner. So they've already broke the American League record for most home runs. Yeah. And now they're they're chasing in on the Reds. Wow, that's some bad babe. Kerry Crowley, thank God you don't have to cover a team like the Tigers or the Orioles. We're talking about some historically bad teams going on in baseball right now. How have you been? Good. I, you know what? I don't cover a team that hits a lot of home runs, so that Yankees-Orioles storyline is interesting to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that when people say they need to move the fences in over at Oracle Park, it's like, well, hey, why don't you just go get some guys that can hit home runs? Because you see other teams come in there and hit home runs, like you're going to see the next two days with the Oakland Athletics. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that, that you can hit home runs, especially in the era of the juice baseball at Oracle Park. It's just that the Giants' core players have not been doing so this season. Evan Longoria has three at home. Brandon Belt, three at home. Brandon Crawford, two at home. And Buster Posey, none at home. And so it's been up to all the guys, the incremental additions that Farhan Zaidi has brought in in his first season to provide the power. Where were you on the either break it up and start a a real rebuild or try and save this team because they had a nice little run? Where were you in? what, What camp were you in? Uh, you know, I, I was always in the camp that they should keep Madison Bumgarner and just because I think that when you look at their starting rotation, they need him to shield innings from these young pitchers that are really struggling, and they're going to need that next season. I, I would make the case that they need to go out and re-sign Madison Bumgarner, even if he's not the elite pitcher that he once was. He still had a 2.8 ERA over his last nine starts, and I think that keeping him was important. And what they did, I think, was probably right. They gave the clubhouse enough uh, enough confidence and said, okay, we'll give you Bumgarner, we'll give you Smith. And then they flipped a few guys for prospects who can help uh, as soon as next season in, in trading Sam Dyson, in trading Drew Pomerantz, and in trading Mark Melanson. Getting Melanson's salary off the books was just huge for 2020. You know, for Madison Bumgarner, I mean, we everybody respects him. He's one of the great postseason pitchers of all time. And I've always wanted, because I remember I used to do a radio show with Aubrey Huff, and he came to Aubrey Huff with this latest contract that he has, and Aubrey told him, do not sign this. This is a horrible deal. Next thing you know, he signs it the next day. I, I, I do believe, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like it's like you, you look at what Mass and Bungmar, and I know he doesn't care about money, but he's truly one of the greats of his era. I think he deserves a payday, but the problem now is, is at the end of the season, they're going to put the qualifying offer on him. And we saw what happened with Dallas Keuchel. We saw what happened with Craig Kimbrell. Teams are not going to want to touch you. So it may be the only place he could ever really get that nice big payday is probably with the San Francisco Giants. 
You know, it's funny that, that you say that about Bumgarner and the Huff story, because I think uh, anyone would be wise not to follow Aubrey Huff's advice. And so <laughs> Madison Bumgarner going out and signing the next day is, is pretty hilarious there. But you're right. I, I think if any team is going to give him a big deal, it makes sense that it would be the San Francisco Giants, because, you know, the, their payroll is going to shrink a little bit after this season, and they've got the chance to to give him the money in year one, year two, year three. But then you look at what the future holds for the Giants, and they've got a lot of young prospects that they're excited about, and Elliot Ramos, Joey Bart, Marco Luciano. These guys are going to come up, and they're going to be a lot cheaper than the free agents that they've always had to pursue on the position player side to kind of make up. They was they were always developing pitching and then going out and signing hitting. I think it might be the opposite under Farhan Zaidi. I think they may sign pitchers like they could do with Madison Bumgarner and develop homegrown hitters, uh, and that could be a formula for success for this club moving forward. You know, you saw Buster Posey come out of Florida State and basically comes up very quickly, and he's been the catcher ever since. And now the problem is you got another. You mentioned Bart. What are they going to do with Buster? What are they going to do with Bart? There's a dilemma that they're going to run into here. I think that the the public has always seen this as a situation where when the Giants bring bring along another catcher, Buster Posey will move to first base. And in 2019, that has completely switched gears. I, I think that Buster Posey has proven that his greatest value to a club moving forward is as a catcher on the defensive side because he can't hit for power anymore. And so you're not going to see him at first base quite frequently in the near future because he doesn't provide the power that they need out of that position. And so I think it's imperative that there's, they start to train Bart at the beginning of next season to play part-time in another position. So you could have both of those guys in the lineup on a given day and have maybe them switching off between catcher and first base in 2020 when Bart is ready to come up because I think that if Bart can provide a little bit of positional versatility, it'll extend his career and ensure that uh, his power isn't zapped later on in the way that Buster Posey's was for catching for so many years. Yeah, catching just beats you up. All you got to do is shake hands with Ray Fossey, and you'll see what catching uh, yeah. does, does for your career. So I, I'm interested, Joey Bart out of Georgia Tech, did he play anything else other than catcher in college? I don't believe so. It was just catcher. He was calling his own games. That's what he was touted as, but He's an athletic guy. I, I don't think he would have a problem moving to first base. Uh, if they really wanted to, to, you know, force his versatility, maybe they try him out at third. I just don't see that being something that they work on early in his career. Yeah, and then first base and all, all also brings in the what do you do with Brandon Belt? It's like the same issues they've had for years continue to be the same thing. What are you going to do with Belt? Well, I don't think they're as married to Belt right now as they, they had to be earlier uh, in his contract because he signed a six-year, $75 million extension. And at the end of the 2019 season, there will only be about two years and $32 million left on that. And so we, when you talk about guys you can trade, maybe you're a little more open to eating some money on that contract if you can get back a pitching prospect or, or something in return for Belt. And that opens up a vacancy at first base because uh, I'm not sure that Belt is, is 162-game year a player uh, right now he's he's dealt with injuries he's dealt with knee issues and so I think you're looking at a guy who maybe you could flip back and forth between first base and left field if he's playing three or four times a week but I don't know that he would be an everyday player in the Joey Bart Buster Posey equation if the Giants do hold on to him you know one guy I think for us longtime baseball fans one guy everybody respected 
And it's re- really, he was on one of the real first super college baseball teams. And when we were watching the World Series on ESPN from old Rosenblatt Stadium back in the day. Oh, yeah. Will Clark was the man, right? And Will Clark comes mm-hmm. up and hits the home run off Nolan Ryan. Had all, always had so much respect for him. It was kind of sad that he had the elbow problem and he didn't have the quite the career numbers to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame. But I do think it's really cool that they're going to retire his number because Will the Thrill was a terrific player, whether it was National League or even in the American League. Yeah, that, that Mississippi State team that he played on was really captivated the country. Uh, and you're right about it being one of the first po- college baseball teams that everyone knows about. I, I think historically, when you think about college baseball, that's one of the programs that kind of put it on the map because of Will Clark's success. He went number two overall, came up and had the immediate success in San Francisco. And I, I do think it's important that fans of the 80s and 90s have a tie to the franchise right now, and Will Clark provides that. And so the 60s and 70s, you had Juan Marichal, Willie McCovey, Willie Mays, Orlando Cepeda. What do the fans from the 80s and 90s have? They're now going to see one of their heroes, Will Clark, celebrated by the Giants. Now, I think that it's the right thing to do. You can throw the numbers aside, and you can say this is how much he meant to the fan base at that time, and I think that that's the argument the Giants will use. Yeah, both franchises are honoring the 1989 teams of course that 1989 Oakland A's team is really one of the great teams in the history of baseball when you look at all the great players that they had Hall of Famers and if it wasn't for you know the steroid era they'd have more Hall of Famers if people would vote for the guys that they believe were PED guys but yeah the Giants had a very good team in 1989 I mean obviously the boogie bear Kevin Mitchell he was MVP, he was phenomenal, Will Clark. But then you think of the great players of the A's. It's just so sad with the earthquake that, you know, we kind of, everybody's kind of forgot about these 89 teams. Yeah, wouldn't it be fun if we could get Bay Area baseball back to that elite level at the same time where the Giants are firing on all cylinders, the A's are the top team in the American League? I, I think it would be so good uh, for this region to have both teams playing extremely well at the same time because. They've gone back and forth, and they both made the playoffs in certain seasons, but uh, I don't know if they've been able to recapture that spirit that they had uh, back in, in 89 when both teams were in the World Series. And we saw the Subway Series. We could always see uh, uh, Dodgers-Angels Series, but I think that it would be really cool for, for this region to have the Giants and A's back at, at elite levels together at the same time. And you think about it, that's what we're seeing in New York with, with the Yankees doing their mm-hmm. thing, and now the Mets are super hot. I mean, right now, baseball in New York is on fire. Oh, it's it's so much fun right now. The Mets have the rotation that's going to scare any team if they creep into playoffs in the National League, and the Yankees can match up with absolutely every lineup. It doesn't matter who gets hurt uh, for that squad because it just feels like everyone they, they tab as a fill-in can hit hit home runs, hit the ball out of the stadium, and that lineup can score 10 runs a game in any given day. Hey, we appreciate the time, and we'll see you tomorrow over at Oracle Park. Yeah, looking forward to it. Oracle Park this week and uh, out at Oakland next weekend. It's going to be a fun few weeks here. All right, buddy, we'll see you tomorrow. Sounds good. Kerry Crowley from the Bay Area News Group and writes for the San Jose Mercury News. On Twitter, I'm at Townsend Radio, and I'm tweeting out, Jose Canseco is going to join us at 445. Is that correct? So I'm retweeting your tweet. A's fans, you love him. Who doesn't love Jose? I got to actually host when they did that documentary on on him being blackballed, and it was at the the movie theater in Concord. 
I got to actually host with Jose and the producers and the writers and the director, and it was pretty cool. So I've gotten to do some events with Jose Canseco, and I think the thing that I love about Jose Canseco is that his brutal honesty. And, yes, people made fun of him, but Jose Canseco was right. And I think for us who were around in the 80s, Cody, what year were you born? 1988. Jose Canseco was a rock star. I read the book. He, I read Juice. It was a good. It was a good book. Jose Canseco was an absolute rock. He was the he he was, he was the biggest name in baseball. I mean, he was you know he was seen coming out of Madonna's pen uh, out of her whatever her building or whatever it was her condo or whatever it was in New York. I mean, he was Jose Canseco. I mean, we now look back on it and we say Ricky Henderson's the greatest player of all time. But Ricky wasn't. Ricky was great. But Jose, his powers. I mean, this guy went forty forty. I mean, Jose was looked at as a rock star. I remember when the All Star Game. I don't know what year it was. You can look this up. The All Star Game was in Chicago, and so Wrigley Field. You know, people used to be hanging out of those buildings. You know, now now they got the. Uh, now they got the stands on top. But I remember someone was hanging out of the building for home run derby saying, Jose hit it here. I mean, Jose Canseco was, he was a bad boy. He was, you know, but everybody loved him. He was a big, strong, good-looking. 1990. 1990. I mean, Jose Canseco was a superstar. You know, when you talk about players, you know, now that our players aren't superstars, Jose Canseco was. Is he calling us? Okay. I'm not going to go to break. We're not breaking. I'll just keep talking until Jose comes on. Both those teams were, were really good, 1989. Kevin Mitchell mashed. Will Clark mashed. I mean, you had Jose. You bring in Ricky. You got McGuire. I mean, it was just. Those two teams going after it. I remember yesterday we were talking. Well, a few days ago we talked to Jesse in Pleasant Hill, one of our great callers on uh, the Ace Clubhouse show, talking about there are a ton of guys on that 1989 team that you look at that were retreads, right? You know, Dave Stewart wasn't Dave Stewart. He became Dave the great Dave Stewart, but he wasn't great then when he first got there. Dennis Eckersley revived his career. A bunch of those guys, Hindu. Revive their careers in Oakland to mix with that young core, that bunch of rookies of the year, you know, Walt Weiss. There are so many good stories. My man, you know, we got to talk to, we got to talk to Gags. I haven't been able to talk to Mike Gallego. Mike Gallego. Mike Gallego, a friend of the program and avid listener of the old A's talk. Kurt Young, friend of the program, now Giants pitching coach. Uh, a part of that 1980, 1989 team. And uh, a good story Dave Feldman told was after the World Series, they had the four starting pitchers together, and Stu stopped the picture and said, you got to get over here, Kurt, because he was the fifth, and he was a part of it. Tony La Russa, the Hall of Famer, recently said, it still sticks in his craw that they only won one World Series. It's hard to believe they lost to the Dodgers. Hard to believe they got swept by the Reds. Really hard to believe. 
that that group of talent only won one. But that group of talent was phenomenal. 1989. And as I said, you know, I've been able to do some things with Jose Canseco. I got to host his documentary in Concord when we had that. And it still shows you that Jose Canseco is a rock star. He always has been. He always will be. And he'll always be a huge star for the Oakland Athletics. Do we, we have him? Jose, how you doing? It's Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics. Thank you for coming on. Good. Great to be here. Stop saying good things about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, you know, I'm not used to that. <laughs> n- n- hey, when we did that, when we when we did that event in Concord, it, it just showed all those A's fans how no matter what people say, A's fans absolutely love you. They will always love you. Well, I, I think it was just a very interesting era in baseball. I think eras evolved and changed, and, and it's you know been modified. And you know, you had, of course, you know the the the, the high mound era. You had the lack of home run era. You had the home run era. You had the uh, the juice ball era, whatever. But I, I think you know baseball is the greatest game in the world, and baseball has survived everything, and. You know, 100 years, 200 years down the line, baseball will be thriving even more than what it is today. It's just the greatest game in the world. You know, I think about your career, and, and my, my producer was born in 1988, and I'm trying to tell these kids that in the 80s and the 90s, you know, we talk about players, how people don't really know the players today. You were a rock star back in the day. What was it like for Jose Canseco to go out on the road with the A's? You know, it was pretty interesting. Some other uh, writers wrote that, I guess, when we walked into either restaurants or nightclubs and even, I'm an honest guy, some strip clubs at times. Yeah, we were very well noted. We're the Oakland age. We were the Bash brothers. And, you know, we, we did things that other organizations weren't doing back then. I, I think at that time we had so many different characters, so many different identities, and so many rock stars and superstars on our team. It was just amazing. And you know what? We had a lot of great characters, a lot of great chemistry, and we won games in a certain way that other teams weren't doing it. Have you seen the Bash Brothers thing on Netflix that they've put together? <laughs> yes. Actually, I saw it. I actually loved it. I, I thought it was a great kind of spoof. I thought it was hilarious. I thought at times they were pretty accurate. At times they were over the top. But, you know, I kind of made fun about an era that actually happened. So it was all in great fun. I actually went on tour with the Lonely Island uh, the last two days of their tour schedule and actually appeared with them and acted like I was go- I was stalking them. I was going to hit them with a baseball bat. And I said, okay, guys, you know, if, if you're going to make fun of me, at least let me show you how to do it the right way. We had a lot of fun with it. They yeah. were a, b- a bunch of great guys. Yeah, Andy Sandberg from uh, SNL. Yeah. He did, it, it, it was, it was, we've had a lot of fun with it. I can tell you as A's fans, we've had a lot of fun. And, you know, we're celebrating. Are, are you showing up for the, uh, the event to celebrate 1989? We're working on it right now. We're looking at the schedule, see if I can make it. Yeah, I, I think whenever you guys get together, what a special team that was. You guys just had so much firepower. You had the great pitching. You had the you had the great bullpen. Just talk about what it was like to be on that team. You know, it's ironic because it was very. It was a. Uh, you know, we had great talent, and our chemistry was amazing. We had the veteran leadership. I mean, we had the offense. We had we had the uh, defense. We had Ricky who at will can, can still base. We had the Bass brothers. I mean, we had a huge 
supporting role. We had Dennis Eckley, Dave Stewart. We had so many great guys, so many great characters. And I, I think at that time, not only did we have a great team, we had a fundamentally sound team. We had the best manager in baseball, Tony LaRusse at the time. But we had a very entertaining team. We had a team that people knew about. We had certain different characters. And I tell you, LaRusa did a great job, not just, you know, putting these guys on the field, making that lineup, but making sure that we, we worked well together as, as teammates. Yeah, we just had the Hall of Famer Tony LaRusa on this program. And, it, you know, it's funny. He, he, to this day, he says it still bothers him to this day that you guys only won one World Series. That's what he said on this show. I agree. I agree with him 100%. We had, I think at the time, the best well-rounded ball club in baseball. But, you know, I, I think people have to understand this, and that's why they, the, uh, the odds makers aren't always correct. I've always said this. It's not the best team that wins in a seven-game series. It's the team that plays the best that's going to win in that seven-game series. You know, all these teams we actually played against, take the, uh, uh, the Dodgers. I mean, they beat us in a seven-game series. They just basically outplayed us. That's what they did. But if we were playing in a series of 50 games, I think we would win 40 of those 50 games. But I don't know. Uh, everything – I mean, they had Hershiser. Uh, everything they did was just perfect. They had guys hitting home runs that should not have been hitting home runs. Of course, they had Hershiser that, that, that would shut us down. Um, they had great defense. They just basically outplayed us. You know, and I think about 1988, your MVP year, and when you were you became the first guy to go 40-40. You know, there's been other people to go 40-40, but you went 40-40 in a year where your team was winning and going to the World Series. We've seen we've seen other guys do it when their teams were terrible and it didn't matter. Well, I I think the main difference was that at that time no one had done the 40-40. And at that time, I actually came in the spring training saying that I was going to do the 40-40 that year. Almost think that I think I put my foot in my mouth because, you know, I didn't really realize that no one had done the 40-40 before. I thought it was something difficult to do, but I thought it had been done before. So at that point in time, when I said I was going to do in spring, you know, spring training, I was going to do the 40-40, I thought, oh, my God, either I, I <laughs> you know, Either I'm going to do the 40-40 and maybe win the MVP and get rated one of the best players in the world or look like the uh, the uh, GOAT, but everything turned out perfect. Well, you all, you promised your mother that you were going to be the best player in baseball, and you became that. And you mentioned Tony La Russa. What was it like playing for him? I'll tell you, um, the most intense manager I've ever played with, I played with seven, eight other, other ball clubs, seven, eight other managers, of course, but – the most well-prepared, the most intense guy. Um, he was constantly trying to figure out how to outmaneuver the other team. I mean, he was an attorney. I, I, I guess he played great, great chess also. But, it, you know, w when you're talking about getting to that ballpark, I, I think Larusa was so intense. I don't think I ever saw him smile, to be honest with you, when it came to being on that field because he was trying in every angle possible, every which way, to really, you know, acquire us an, an edge to win that game. So in that sense, what a great manager, a Hall of Fame manager, as a matter of fact. You know, the documentary w was so good, and it just showed how you got blackballed in baseball. You know, when, when everybody was trying to deny PEDs and you came out and you actually told the truth, 
Has life changed for you since that documentary that now more people know that so many people were lying and you weren't? Well, it just changed completely around. In the, in the very beginning, of course, I was called a liar, a snitch, um, that I had destroyed Major League Baseball. But uh, years and years have passed. And, I, I, you know, the book came out and people really analyzed the total situation, the environment we were in. And, of course, now they realize, yeah, that was something that happened at the point of total steroid use in Major League Baseball. I mean, at the peak, yeah, probably 80 percent of the players were using it. You know what? But I think people have to understand this, that when that era started, you know, PDs were not illegal in Major League Baseball. We really didn't even know exactly what they were and exactly what they did. But till Major League Baseball instilled the, um, the fines and the, and the game suspensions in Major League Baseball, I mean, PDs were not illegal. That, that happened later on. So we have testing today. How, 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 put a percentage on it, what you think probably players are using today. I would say zero. I would say that it's not worth it. I mean, you got these huge fines, you got these huge suspensions, and I don't really think these players need these, these PDs. I I think PDs, you know, they were just, they were just given too much credit. It's almost saying that if none of these, if, all these players that use PD, you're going to tell me they would never be in, in the major leagues. For example, let's take for example, I'm going to give you two perfect examples of why PDs are overrated. Number one, Mark McGuire. In 1987, he was not using PDs. He hit 49 home runs. And back then, the ballpark rated where the ball carried the, the least. It was a dungeon. We had the biggest foul territory. If you would have put him in Colorado, he probably would have hit 70 home runs. Now, I have an identical twin brother. Him and I used the identical PEDs. We did the same workouts. We, we ate the same foods and, and took the same nutrition. Why didn't he make it to the major leagues and, and do the 40-40 and hit monsters home runs? That just goes to show you PEDs are completely overrated. I hate these people that are saying, oh, you know what? I could have made it to the major leagues. If I would have just injected myself, I would have been a major league superstar. <laughs> That's so from, so far from the truth. It's laughable. And – Guys who get caught now, their excuse is always, it was a, you know, I bought this, I bought this from wherever, and it's it, it was tainted. Do you buy that excuse when they say it's uh, tainted and they get, t- when they test positive? Well, you have to look at both sides of the coins. The, the problem is that there are so many substances out there out in the market that will give a false positive when you, when you take these PD testing. There are so many... Uh, supplements. There are so many, uh, uh, you know, vitamins. There, 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 there's so many things out there that it could work. I, I think players just have to look at that player uniform list and look at these so-called items that could not be used at all, and they have to be extremely careful with them. Jose, it is always great to catch up with you. I truly appreciate the time, and I know all A's fans would love to see you for the celebration for 1989. Thank you, guys. Hopefully I can make it. I appreciate it. Take care, Jose. Take care, guys. Thank you again. Jose Canseco. Man, you just look at his numbers. Guy's got 462 home runs, 1,407 RBIs, 200 stolen bases, an OPS of 867 for his career. 17 years. That's not a Hall of Fame body of work. 
Eighty percent. That that that. This is the whole thing about not putting steroid guys into the Hall of Fame. Is you have to realize everybody was doing it. Like Jose just said, eighty percent. Everybody was doing it. So if everybody's doing it, it's a level playing field, right? We'll get into more of that. Always great. I love Jose. I mean, when Jose talks, I'm interested. I really, it really am. Coming up, we're going to talk. We'll continue to get you ready for tomorrow's action, the Bay Bridge Series. Ben Ross from NBC Sports is going to join us right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Pete He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I mean, how good is this? If you're a baseball fan, you're an A's fan, come on. You get Jose Canseco. Barry Zito's coming up here at the bottom of the hour. Nobody has guests like this. Nobody. I challenge anybody to find better baseball guests than we bring to you. Hall of Famers, the biggest names of sport has ever seen, come on this show. By the way, the New York Times just put out a uh, piece. What is YouTube pushing you to watch next? Talk about its algorithm that always it's trying to hook you. All these things hook us. I actually bought some chicken pies for a guy at MLB Network who gives me a bunch of stats, their stat pack. And ever since, because I actually bought them, and the way I did it from Gold Belly, it's where you can buy our San Diego chicken pies and a carnitas pie, I now get, I get advertising all over my computer now for my own restaurant to buy pies. It's, it's, it's the way they've hooked us with electronics, our phones, our computers, it is just sad. It's just sad. Well, I got to tell you this, Ben Ross. You're following Jose Canseco and Barry Zito's coming up at the bottom of the hour. You've got a lot of pressure to be fabulous. I mean, I think this is the appropriate time for people to be filling in. You know, I, I, I'm the main course. Jose was just the appetizer. Zito's the dessert. But, you know, this is when, if you're a fan, this is the stuff you want to be hearing. <laughs> hey, you know what? Normally we don't look at the schedule in baseball like we do football. Football, like the schedule comes out and you break, you break down like every single game. But I'll tell you, the first basically two months of next year's season, looking at the schedule and thinking what we know about these teams, it is going to be a rough start for the A's to start to, uh, 2020. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's two ways to look at it, right? I mean, the the bad news is that it's a rough start. I guess the, the good news is that it gets easier after that. So if you're able to sort of hang around and, you know, we've sort of gotten familiar with the A's getting off to slow starts uh, each year and maybe not awful, but sort of hanging around 500 and then really getting going in the second half. So maybe that ends up working in their favor and, uh, if they can sort of stay in the race through that, maybe the, the schedule lightens up a little bit. But then again, you know, we, we don't know exactly how these teams will be next year either. So tough to read too much into it, into the schedule this early, I feel like. 
Okay, so Jesus Lazardo's throwing again. We know he's going to be a big part of the rotation at some point, whether it's at the end of the year, but definitely next year. If you had to pull one guy out of the rotation and you're going to put Jesus Lazardo in his spot, who would it be? Yeah, actually, I heard you talking about this. Uh, I think it was yesterday when you were discussing this. And, um, you know, at this point for me, it's, it's got to be Homer Bailey, which obviously is a little bit weird since since you just traded for him. Uh, but I think the points that you made were solid. I mean, all four of the other guys have just been so good recently. I don't see how you pull Tyers or Brett Anderson. Uh, Tanner Roark and Chris Bassett have also looked really good. So, I mean, to me, Homer Bailey has had a few good starts at home. Obviously, he's sort of gotten shelled on the road. But even in his home starts, he's gotten a little bit fortunate, I think. You know, he's given up a lot of hard contact. And um, at this point, to me, he's the clear number five starter. So if you're if you're replacing anyone in that rotation, he's the guy, even though they just acquired him recently. Yeah, and the other thing that I was talking about yesterday, and it's nothing personal. I mean, we're, we're, we're in the production business. It's about wins and losses. And what scares me is I just can't even imagine a wild card game where Jerks and Profar is getting the ball either hit to him or he has to try and turn a double play. I, I don't know how you keep running him out there as such a defensive liability. What do you do? No, I completely agree with you, and I heard you discussing this topic as well. I mean – you know, the throw on the double play yesterday, he, he's just – he has no idea where the, the ball is going at this point. And, you know, it's tough because he's worked on it, and I think a lot of it is mental. I think, you know, you could say that he's got the yips or, or whatever, so to speak. Um, I don't know. To me, I've always been a fan of Chad Pinder. I know a lot of fans would like to see him playing second base, maybe on a more regular basis. Uh, to me – I certainly feel more comfortable with him there defensively. I think offensively, the production uh, from Pinder is probably better as well. I know, you know, they like having uh, Profar's left-handed bat in there against right-handed pitching. Um, but I'm certainly a fan of Chad Pinder. And, you know, unless Profar really gets hot at the plate or is able to fix his, his fielding problems, I kind of like going to Pinder at second base, assuming everyone else comes back healthy. That You know, especially when a guy like Loriano uh, hopefully comes back and, you know, the outfield gets a little bit more crowded. To me, uh, I like Pinder at second. You can get your A's coverage, NBCSports.com. You go there, you click on the A's, and you'll see all of Ben's work, including uh, what's up right now, where you have Nathan Patterson, the kid out of nowhere who throws really hard. I, I know he was on a conference call today. What did you think of this signing? You know, it's such a great story, and yeah, we got to, to chat to him today, chat with him today on, on a conference call for really the first time uh, since since he signed. And you know, he just kind of took us through his uh, his life story, and he, he sort of clarified. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't just like he came out of nowhere uh, throwing 96 at that Rockies game and, and got a contract. He has been working for really the last year and a half, uh, actually, with Jared Parker, former A's pitcher. So he, Jared Parker now is kind of a pitching coach down in Nashville. He tries to help out a lot of young pitchers. But no, it, it was interesting because, you know, this is a kid, Nathan Patterson, who has not pitched competitively since high school, and he never got past junior high there. Um, and he sort of was out of baseball. He was just working, you know, normal jobs. He worked in uh, sales for a software company for a few years. And 
it was actually at a Nashville Sounds game, the old A's AAA affiliate, where he got in one of those speed pitch challenges. And his very first pitch, he threw 90 miles an hour. He said he thought it was a joke. He thought they were, like, jacking up the speed gun on him. But he threw a few more and got up to, like, 95, 96. And uh, at that point, he, he had no idea he, he could throw that hard. And at that point, he decided to try and pursue a baseball career. And, you know, from there, he was working with Jared Parker on, on some other pitches. So it's been kind of a year or a year and a half in the making. And, you know, he was on the A's radar for a while. Um, I, you know, I like it. If nothing else, it's a great story. But he's only 23 years old. He's got a fresh arm, as, as Eric Kubota had, had pointed out to us. Um, the A's scouting director, just because, you know, he hasn't thrown a lot. And so it's sort of a roll of the dice, but it, it's like a low-risk, high-reward situation, I think. This has got Disney movie written all over it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if he gets – can you imagine if he if he ever did get to the big leagues, if he threw a big league pitch, that's, that's an incredible movie just waiting to happen. I'm so happy we're honoring the 1989 teams because both those teams, not only for the Giants, but especially for the A's, the 1989 A's, they're one of the great baseball teams of all time. And unfortunately, we've lost a a few of the guys who are on the team. But I'm just happy we're going to be honoring these two great teams because very rare that two teams in the same market get a chance to play against each other in the World Series. Yeah, I think it's going to be fantastic. And I agree with you. I'm glad that we're getting a chance to honor these teams on the 30th uh, anniversary. You know, it's such a cool thing. And obviously that was such a a, a historic series, uh, obviously beyond just baseball with, with the earthquake happening as well. But I think it will be great to honor both of these teams. And it's, you know, it's two great franchises and now they're actually both in the playoff race this year. I mean, you know, we knew the A's would be competitive and they're right in the wild card race and the Giants have surprised a lot of people getting back to about 500 and, you know, they're still not out of it. So I think if nothing else, that will uh, make these games a little more exciting, you know, with both teams having something to play for. You know, I, I was reading about the, I was reading this to people earlier about, the Rays and what they got going on. The Rays are going to play their next 20. They're they're in the midst of a 21-game stretch, 21 straight games. They're playing against teams with losing records. I mean, they've got Detroit. They got Baltimore. They got Seattle after this series with the Padres. And then you look at the A's, and the A's got the Astros. They got the Yankees. How big is this upcoming homestand for the 2019 Athletics? Oh, it's huge. And I was looking at the same thing, and it, it almost seems unfair because we just saw the Cleveland Indians go through a similar stretch where it seemed like they were playing the Tigers and the Orioles and the Royals every series. And you're right, the Rays' schedule for the next couple of weeks is much easier than the A's. So this is, I think this is a critical part of the, of the season for the A's. They, you know, obviously it's a, it's a tougher schedule. You're not going to expect them to win all these games against teams like the Astros and Yankees. But they've got to stay close. They've got to stay within a couple of games, uh, you know, just within shouting distance. And then the schedule does get a little bit easier starting in September. But, uh, yeah, certainly a disadvantage for the A's. And, you know, also playing in in a much tougher division. When you look at these other teams, the A's don't get all these games against the Tigers and the Orioles and a lot of the the bottom dwellers. So if Oakland can just kind of stay close over these next couple of weeks heading into September – 
um, I'll like their chances when their schedule lightens up a little bit. Well, keep up the great work. We read you every single day, NBCSports.com, and click on the athletics, and that's where you can find uh, all of your great pieces. Uh, Good speaking with you, and we'll see you tomorrow out at Oracle. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. That's right. He's one of the good ones. We love having Ben on. Ben Ross from NBC Sports. Kind of weird calling it Oracle. Like you think Oracle, you think Warriors. You just you don't think Giants. Four different names for the ballpark. Four. I was actually one of the original voices to ever come out of Pac Bell Park. I opened the park the morning because back when I was doing mornings on KMBR, I I would come on and do a report, and I did the show with Gary Radnich, so I would come on before Gary. So I remember the very first day they're playing the Dodgers. Elster goes deep three times. But they had to have special security to let me in because we were there so so darn early. And I was like the first voice to come out for an actual real Giants game. And I also did. They had two preseason games. They had a game against the Brewers, and they had a game against the Yankees. And I did the pre and post for both of those. But the very first official game ever at Pac Bell Park, my voice came on. You heard my voice before you ever heard John Miller, Kruko, or Kipe, or any of those guys. <clears throat> so we'll be there tomorrow. And things have kind of thawed, actually. I remember when we used to go in there like the A's, just the looks we would get. You know, it was like we were the – everything's kind of thawed recently. I don't know why. But it used to be you could tell. You could tell that the franchises don't like each other. I mean, it's just they just don't like each other. And I'm sure it's that way in every two-team market, that you just don't like each other. You want them to lose. You want them to be bad. You Because let's face it, it, it fried me how great 2012 was for the A's and the way it ended, and then they go on and win the World Series. It fried me. Like, can't we get our – Well, this is the time to go in and hammer them and just absolutely hammer them and then hammer them again over in Oakland and help in their season. By the way, Ben just made a good point. I didn't even think about this. One one of these teams, okay, let me go to my notes here because I can tell you the Twins have not been. You know what? The Twins haven't been actually all that bad. It's just, okay, so through June 3rd, well, how about this? The Twins entered June 4th with a season-high 11-and-a-half game lead over the AL Central. 11-and-a-half. That's unbelievable. They were killing it, hitting all those home runs. They were unbeatable. Now you go into today's action, and they're tied with the Indians. Why? Because the Indians... Since June 3rd, the Indians are 42-17, and 17, the best in MLB. And there's a problem with both of these two teams. Ben just said it, and we'll talk about it next, right here on A's Cast Live. Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. All right, I'm looking it up. By the way, Barry Zito. Barry is going to join us coming up here at the bottom of the hour. 
Ben Ross said it. And now we're going to really look at it. How many times do the Twins and the Indians get to play awful teams? So I'm going to look at it here. Okay. Well, this is going to be no day at the beach. The Tribe right now is taking on the Boston Red Sox at home, but Boston hasn't been good. Then they got to play the New York Yankees for four and the New York Mets for three. Our Mets. Our Mets could be helping our athletics. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Okay. Here's the problem, though. They got the Indians on August 27, 28, and 29. They've got the Tigers. Then they've got a four-game set September 2nd, 3rd, and 4th against the Chai Sox. Now they're going to play the Twins. How about this? They're going to play the Twins six more times in the final month. And they got the Tigers again. God, the Tigers are historically bad, folks. They're vying for the potentially the worst record of all. The most losses ever in a season are 120. The American League record is 119. They're projected to be around that area. Here's, I guess the good news is A's against the Indians for the wild card. They got to play Minnesota two more times. They got to play Philly. And then they end with the Nationals who are in it. Nothing like ending your season with the National League team. Let's look at the Minnesota Twins. What do they got? Oh, they got Milwaukee, Texas, Chicago. There's Detroit again. Oh, they've got six games left against Detroit. How about this? The Twins, if they don't make the postseason, it is so on them. They've got, starting on August 23rd, they got three against Detroit, three against Chicago, four against Detroit. They got the Sox in Detroit again later in the month. And, oh, my God. Look how they end. They end with bottom, bottom feeder U. This is how the Minnesota Twins are going to end their season. They've got, okay, Kansas City right now is 43-76. and 76. So, look at this. This is how they this is how they their last 10 games are four against Kansas City, three against Detroit, three against Kansas City. So you have Detroit who's 35 and 80 and you got Kansas City who's 43 and 76 and this is how these guys in their season. Are you kidding me? They're gift wrapping you up a, a postseason spot. That's something I didn't want to see. The Indians have a much tougher schedule down the stretch. But this is the problem when you don't lead your division. You need other people to help you. You need other people. You just you don't control your own destiny. You know, we haven't checked. Well, we have talked a little bit about it earlier today. Just it's 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 unbelievable how Tampa is just playing a bunch of just, I mean, Tampa right now. 21 straight games against bad teams. Let's see how they, 
Can we get some Yankee games going for Tampa? Because Tampa, Tampa wilts when they see the Bronx Bombers. They absolutely, I mean, they're, they're just not the same guys, especially at Yankee Stadium. They have been brutal. All right, so Tampa. So we're going over the three teams the A's are chasing right now. It's a three-horse race for two spots in the postseason. So they've got three against San Diego, three against Detroit, three against Seattle, four against Baltimore. That's their next series. That's a joke. Then they got to play Houston and Cleveland for six games. That's going to be rough. But then look at this. Three against Baltimore. Four against Toronto. The Baby Jays. They end their season with three against Toronto. So, bottom line is this. Strength of schedule, if you look at the three teams, the four teams, I should say, Cleveland, Minnesota, Tampa, Oakland, Oakland by far has the has the has the toughest test. They have the toughest test, no question. You're gonna have to earn it. You have to earn your way into the postseason. And then as we addressed it with Ben, I'm looking at next year's schedule. You start out with four against the twins. I got to think they're going to be good. Then you got three against the Astros, three against the Twins again. Then you go Angels, Yankees, Red Sox. Seattle will be bad, but then you got Indians and Astros. That's the first month. Once again, you're playing the best teams in baseball in the very first month. The second month, May, you open up with Tampa. You got some patsies in there in the Mariners. Well, who knows what the Jays are going to look like. But by the end of the month, here are the Astros again. That might be the key. That's something I, I can already see a topic for spring training. How do you we're, – we're already the tease for spring training. The A's have to, you know, does the first two months of the season des- decide the fate of the 2020 athletics? I can see the tease now. That's one of the things I, I I will refuse to listen to in radio. If I'm driving along in my car and somebody starts busting out the schedule for the Raiders or the Niners and you start playing, oh, this is a win, this is a loss, I turn it immediately. The schedule, the schedule game for football is the dumbest thing. You have no clue what your football team is going to look like heading into the season, let alone halfway or towards the end. You have no clue. Your quarterback can go down in week two and your season's over. But when do the schedules come out? Is it, is it What time of the year is that? Is that in May or something like that? Isn't it like April? I thought it came out like before the draft. Oh, well, I, 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 got, I got them going 10 and 6. Shut up. Yeah, as we saw, the 2020 schedule's out now, and people are breaking down the – 2019-2020 NBA schedule released today. Oh, the NBA schedule came it out today? Was. I couldn't tell you who the Warriors played the first game at Chase Center. Could not care less, as Rick Barry once said on my program. I don't even know who they play on Christmas. Uh, yeah, I still don't know who they play on Christmas. That's the marquee game. You know what the great thing is? A's cast live, we don't have to worry about that. So I don't have to break down what the Warriors are going to do. Don't have, don't have to worry about it. 
We're going to sit back and watch it. Eighth seed in the West next year. Huh? Bryce broke it down for you. Eighth seed in the West. You're going to be the eighth seed Man, in the West? Uh, broke it down for you. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, he's a World Series champion. He's a Cy Young Award winner. He's a musician. And now he's an author. Barry Zito has a new book coming out in September, and we got a chance to catch up with Barry earlier today. You're going to hear our conversation with the great Barry Zito right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. He's one of the greatest left-handed pitchers in Oakland A's history. He was a Cy Young Award winner. He's a World Series champion, a three-time All-Star, a musician, and also now an author. Barry Zito joins us here on A's Cast Live. How you doing, Barry? I'm doing great. How are you? We're, we're doing fantastic. The ball club's playing well. And uh, let's talk about this new book, Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame, coming out September 17th, 2019. Yes, sir. That is that is it, man. It's, uh, it's just been a lot of fun to write. It's been about a two-year process. But um, I think the key to that is really just saying saying what i wanted to hear you know going into the big leagues if i read something like that i probably would have had a lot less head games with myself and probably put a lot less pressure on myself and um so it's it's in a lot of ways it's a letter to my younger self and almost like a warning firing a warning shot here (laughs) this isn't uh, all cracked up to be man it's it can be a little miserable out here sometimes in the world so you know, I, I think of when you put a book out, it's like showing your soul, and it's a lot of work. Just talk about everything you've done to, to, to make this thing happen. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it's just been a lot of, it's been a lot of, like, how do I tell this story, you know? And at the end of the day, I mean, we hear these interviews with players, you know, whether they're on a hot streak or a cold streak, and, you know, they kind of give the standard answer, right? And the media latches on to the guys that are a little more honest. But to be truthful, you're, you're not always getting the full story about what's going on inside of a guy's head. And, you know, he could be terrified to go out there on the mound or get up to the plate, but he's not going to tell anybody that. And so, you know, this book is a very vulnerable kind of open way of saying this is what was really going on in my head and, and, you know, in other teammates of mine's heads when things weren't really going their way and trying to explain a little bit of, you know, what's behind that when you're, you know, you're just trying to go out there and perform and you can end up trying to do things to make the fans happy and really to, to uh, gain self-worth out there by performing. And that's really the wrong approach to have, you know, when playing a sport that's crazy like baseball. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a a journey of how I went from putting my identity, uh, into my baseball performance to finding it somewhere else. Yeah. And it's a game of failure and some guys, you know, you're, you are going to struggle. I mean, every, I mean, the other guys get paid too, as we like to say, and and they're going to have their time against you. And, and I and I think when like yesterday we saw Chris Bassett who threw a very good game, but after the game it was so critical of himself, saying it was the best fastball he had. But he used the term the rest of my stuff was just crap. So, you know, when you look that guy in the mirror, sometimes it's tough, Barry. When you know when you're struggling, and, and you really have to diagnose your own stuff. It's not easy. 
Yeah, no, it's really true. I mean, and I think having a perspective going in to anything that we're trying to do in life, you know, we're trying to be successful and, you know, we're all trying to make a living and do these things, but to have perspective that, you know, there's certain things that I can control and there's certain things I can't. And I think, you know, I read a statistic once that the biggest reason that people are unhappy is because they're placing their happiness on all these factors that are out of their own control. And, you know, that was me for sure. I was, you know, if I took a, took a win that day, uh, then I was walking on, you know, clouds and felt like I was the greatest dude on the planet. And, you know, if I gave up eight earned in three innings, I wouldn't even leave my apartment, you know? And so you, you can't live like that. And so, um, a lot of it has to do with us really trying to control things we can't. How much have you learned in your life from the time when you really were struggling in baseball? How much, how much has that helped you and how much have you learned from it? I mean, that's been my greatest teacher. Absolutely. Um, you know, the struggle is always when we learn, right? We don't really learn much in good times. We just kind of fail, you know, it's like the roller coasters clickety clacking it up in the, up to the top there. And I think that's this pain and struggle and we're just trying to get up the hill. And then, you know, when times are good, man, we're just flying down that thing and enjoying the wind in our face, having a great time. But for me, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful of the struggles, even though they were so hard because I really found out who I was, you know, outside of baseball and have taken that, you know, that mindset and really that, that truth, I think just into the rest of my life and, and just having a blast now, I'm, I feel so much more peaceful inside, which is a huge win. And what was the feeling like, too, when you made your big comeback in 2012 and you pitched so well for the Giants in the playoffs and the NLCS and the World Series, you got back to the top of that mountain. What was that like for you to get back there? You know, it's funny because if you would have asked me the first five years of my Giants contract, you know, hey, what would you give to go be a, you know, playoff kind of hero, World Series, you know, game one, you know, get the win, all that stuff. I was like, oh, man, I would give you both both arms and both legs. You know, it's, that's all I wanted to do was vindicate myself in the eyes of Giants fans and, and really deliver what I was paid to deliver. Um, but the, the irony is that once I realized that, you know, after getting left off the roster in 2010, that I wasn't going to get where I had to go, you know, with that mindset of it's all about me and, you know, I'm going to get redemption no matter what. I mean, I just gave up all attachment to success and really just tried to start having a great time and throw the ball as good as I could. And really, if I was going to suck out there, okay, man, so be it. <laughs> and so that mindset is actually what brought me the success in 2012. And uh, I actually can't really even take credit for it, man, because I feel like I didn't do much. I just did the best I could. And uh, so I didn't really bask in the redemption that I think people were hoping I would. <laughs> Well, it, 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 look at your career, and, and I think about at the height of your powers, like in 2002, when you were so dominant, what is it like to be on that mound and to dominate like that? And you also, you know, you, Hudson Mulder, Zito, the three of you were all rolling at the same time. That just had to be a blast. Yeah, no, it was it was a blast. And I think, you know, they have this uh, this thing they talk about with the – the arc of, you know, the master or mastery. And they talk about, you know, at the beginning of your career, you're unconsciously competent, right? You're just a stud. You don't know why. And I think that's what I was in Oakland. We didn't really know what we were doing. We were just good. 
And then, you know, the next, the next stage of that is conscious incompetence, which is, we know what that is. And then the final stage of mastery is conscious competence. So, um, for me, I can't really, I don't know what was going on in Oakland those early years, man. I was just having a great time. And for some reason, you know, <laughs> these guys were striking out. Yeah, no doubt about it. And the three of you guys were just so dominant and you had so many great players around you with MVPs and Cy Young Awards. It was such a good time in A's baseball. Yeah. You know, you know when, when, when I think about what's the future of the game, I really think it's neuroscience. I think it's really working on players, their mentality, their brains. And I think you can speak to that because you can show people curveballs and spin rates and all this kind of stuff. But really, the, the most important muscle is the one in between your ears. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's and when I started to realize that, I think, you know, halfway through my career, I would look around at the guys that, you know, placed all of their self-worth right and their identity in the game. And those are the guys that were so miserable and that were, you know, taking different substances and, you know, drinking at night and trying to deal with right. The, the roller coaster emotionally. And then there was just those few guys that were so incredible. They had such perspective and they knew that they were kind of more than the game of baseball. And, uh, and those are the guys I think that you see, you know, riding out these great careers because, you know, they're actually keeping their sanity through most of it. And they treat the game like it should be treated. It's a game. Go have fun. Do your best. End of story. And, uh, you know, but there are many guys, myself included, that could not approach it that way. It was just too intense, man. So I, I'm, uh, I'm assuming you probably talk about this in the book, but if Barry Zito could go back now to a younger Barry Zito where you had multiple you know, whether it's the start of your career, middle of your career, end of your career, what kind of advice would Barry Zito go back and give give to you back then? Oh, man, uh, that's a great question. I think I would, because I didn't have a great foundation for what was important and what wasn't. I, I kind of was raised being taught that, you know, baseball is the end-all, be-all. If, if I'm a great champion in baseball, then life is perfect. So, I would tell myself, Hey, you're not that special. <laughs> you're not that important. Uh, no matter if you have success and you think everyone's talking about you and thinking about you before they go to sleep at night, they're actually not. And, uh, so just go have fun and enjoy it. And I mean, that's, that's something I, if you told me that I would have been like, get out of here, man, come on. <laughs> no, this is all about me. You know, um, not in a, not in a kind of an arrogant way, but just about what I was raised believing, you know? So I would, I would give myself a little perspective, maybe a little kick in the butt there. How hard is it to separate the money when, when you're performing? How hard is it just to, as you said, go out and have fun and not think about the money? Um, it is pretty hard. I mean, you know, especially when you have, you know, huge newspapers and, talk show people and they're all talking about you and you know you're sitting there going man I just got paid an amount of money that I couldn't even fathom being attached to my name uh in my whole life you know and so all I want to do is go out there and pitch well and show these people that I'm worth the money and so the intention is good right I mean good intentions lead the way to hell right and so for me I just wanted to perform well to to say hey guys I I'm I'm trying I want to do this but you can't do that because you start to try to be some kind of superhuman and you were never meant to do that. You were just meant to go through that ball the best you could. 
and uh, you know, like I said, that wasn't something I could master was that that psychological approach. The book is called Curveball: How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. It's going to be out September seventeenth. 2019. You can also check out BarryZitoMusic.com. That's BarryZitoMusic.com. Before we let you go, we know you got other interviews to do. How is music coming along and your writing going? Oh, music's great, man. I'm having such a good time. Been setting up a little studio and working on all that kind of stuff and going to get back to writing songs here soon after all this book stuff settles down. So I'm just, again, just so grateful to be having something to sink my teeth into, man. Barry, you're the best, uh, and, and congratulations on the book. Good luck with it, and when it comes out, let's have you on again and promote it again. That sounds great, buddy. I really appreciate it. Barry Zito, a lot of respect for him. As somebody who is very honest, he's been to the highest highs. He's been to the lowest lows. And he's willing to talk about it. And he really did. You know, you think about how bad it got with the Giants for him. But the fact that he kind of. He was able to get back in 2012, won some big games for him. They don't win the World Series without him. But it just goes to show. Not everybody is totally equipped to deal with a large amount of money. And I know we look at it and we think, oh, that, you know, Townsend, come on, really? I'm, I'm telling you. When you're a free agent and you leave a team that you came up with and you go to a new team, I'm telling you, you don't. You, the safety net's gone. You're now a dollar sign. Everybody looks at you as a dollar sign. They expect you to hit a home run every single at bat. They expect you to throw shutout innings every single. And if you struggle, you're just a dollar sign. Look at Chris Davis right now. Chris Davis is kind of getting a pass. Why? Because Chris Davis has hit a ton of home runs for the Athletics. But if this was a new team and Chris was doing this, he'd be getting booed every at-bat. Every time he strikes out with runners on, he'd get booed. There's just something about when you stay with one team, you're, you're looked at differently. And that's why when all these guys started signing these extensions and Acuna Jr., they're like, what are you doing, man? You could you, you could probably make $400 million, at least three. And then I'm thinking about going, you know what? What did he get total? What It was, it was 100-something. I mean, it, it, it's like this kid came from nothing, and now you offer him $100 million and he takes it. I mean, those big contracts – they take you into a different world. Eight years, $100 million. It's $100 million. And everybody's like, oh, you could have held out for 400 Man, $400 million changes so much. And what does everybody say? Oh, well, that was me. I, 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 uh-huh. 
Look how many people win the lottery and they get money that they're not equipped to handle and it crushes their lives. Not everybody is is meant to to handle that. We all think we are. We all think if I had that kind of money. Well, why 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 do people who win the lottery, so many of them, they're broke, and their family life's awful? Because now everybody everybody now just looks at you as a dollar sign. Money's a powerful thing, good and bad. And it definitely affected Barry. But he survived it. I don't know. I haven't talked to Chris Davis. Chris Davis doesn't want to talk. But, you know, I wonder if the extension has anything to do with it. I don't know. We're dealing with human beings. These guys are not robots. That's why with Trout, Trout can sign that huge big deal. And if Trout, by the end of the deal is not the same guy, they're not going to pound on him because they love him. He's family. But if you're just a free agent like Bryce Harper, oh, boy, in Philly, how's that going to end? That could end ugly. People look at – fan bases look at you different if you're a homegrown guy versus a free agent hired gun. If you're a free agent hired gun, you you better be good because if you're not, Man, it's going to be rough. Programming alert. Programming alert. So we had the MVP of 1988, Jose Canseco, on earlier today. Now it's 630. Commander Cody has booked the 1989 National League MVP. Kevin Mitchell is going to join us, who played in the 1989 World Series. So it's a big, what a big Monday this is on A's cast live and we're also going to have one of the voices of the san francisco giants you see him also on espn dave fleming is going to join us it's been a very good day commander congratulations you're booking some big time guests uh thank you i'm very excited about our first guest of the show tomorrow though i'm gonna do a little forward promoting we're gonna have former assistant GM, now GM of the san francisco giants Farhan Zaidi on with us at four o'clock tomorrow. Zaidi, everybody, everybody butchered it. Zaidi, Zaidi, Farhan Zaidi. That's what I said. Zaidi. Zaidi. You said Zaidi. Everyone like, I, even Buster only does it all the time. Right? It's not Farhan Zaidi. It's Farhan Zaidi. I'm pretty sure I said Zaidi, but I'll, I'll 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 take your word for it. So, we're gonna have Farhan out to start the show tomorrow. Have him on tomorrow. I'm working on getting voter on Stephen Vote, who hit a ball that still hasn't landed yet. On Friday night at Oracle Park. So we got to talk to Farhan about a lot of different things, right? One is he's been very open about him and Billy and Mike Trout. The A's could have had Mike Trout. A lot of teams could have had Mike Trout. So we'll talk to Farhan about that. We'll talk about the rebuild. We'll talk about not rebuilding and staying in it and trying to win. And maybe, just maybe, wait, what's, what year did Farhan get there? This is his first year in San Francisco. No, no. What time what, 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 what did he get with the A's? Uh, early 2000s. Let me check. Because we can play some of the cuts from the war room of the draft to see if this really happened. <laughs> so we're going to have Farhan to start it out tomorrow. We'll have another big show, A's Cast Live. Coming up next, two things. 
We had one of the biggest upsets in the past 15 years and also a Fortnite champion who someone did something to him that I've never even heard of that I think we should all know about. That's all next on A's Cast Live. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. So I'm reading uh, this article about A-Rod and his rental car getting broken into. And there was $500,000 worth of stolen items. Okay. Who leaves $500,000 worth of stuff in a car? First off, you're an idiot if you do that. So, A-Rod, you're an idiot. $500,000 in electronics and jewelry. Like, why would you do that? Now, it's awful that his car got broken into, but why would you do that? That's crazy. And is there a big problem with cars getting broken into in San Francisco? I, I, I don't know if that's the case. Well, I don't think I've ever heard of this before, but I'm just more amazed that he found parking in San Francisco. But, yes, apparently there have been a lot of break-ins there. Well, I was... well, 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 he would have a parking pass, so he would be in the Giants. He would be in the – oh, we're going to be there tomorrow. He's going to be in the Giant. he would have been in the parking lot. The media parks – you know, you park in the parking lot where everybody else parks. So people are breaking into cars at Giants games. They don't have any security out there. Apparently. And uh, you're right, we are going to be up there tomorrow. I have still have to decide if I'm going to take Caltrain or not, but – I was out in Oakland on Saturday night with a few people, and the guy we were with, his car got broken into. Apparently, the thing is they do is they take, like, a metal detector, and they scan if you have metal in your car. They break your window. If they don't see it and they can't grab it, they just move on to the next car. So they shattered his back window but didn't take anything. My backpack was in there. All of his stuff in his trunk was, like, nothing was taken. It's just a hassle because then you have to pay for your window to get fixed. Okay. Um... I have any metal in my car? So, like, my golf clubs in my trunk, that would... that would. Well, see, I think what happened with him was he had some stuff in his trunk and I might have signaled it, and that's what they did. But when they broke through the back window, nothing happened. Because this happened to my... My buddy was telling the story. Apparently, it happened to him twice in Oakland in the same spot. Well, the thing for me in San, for working, for, working in San Francisco for... God, I started working in San Francisco, like, 1996 is I, we always had a parking garage. So I never really parked my car outside and everything I've always, so I've never had that problem. But I know people that we have worked with in the past had issues. 408 is saying there's a huge problem of break-ins in SF. But seriously, what could possibly be worth $500,000? I, mean, I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. That's You know, this is one of the best things about this new job. That that is has made my life so much better is that I don't have to drive to San Francisco anymore. I mean, literally, I've been driving to San Francisco for over 20 years. And it's just getting in and out of the like, I understand getting up to Oakland's brutal. I think anybody that has to deal with 880, you know, it's brutal going through San Leandro, going through Hayward. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what time of the day. Seriously, it's awful. Like, you leave an A's game, 
at night for me, and I'm it'll be it'll be midnight and there'll be traffic and they'll be working on the freeway. Traffic. I mean, there's basically traffic on 880 at all times. I'll look. I'll look at my app and I'll, I'll look at. It and I'll go. Man, it's it's 1:30 and it's already starting in Hayward. Already starting. Getting out of the Raider game the other night. Oh my god. But getting into San Francisco, no matter where you're coming from, can be, it can take forever. Especially when you're coming in at a prime time, like morning or afternoons. Like, coming from San Jose, and you go up 280, and you're just cruising, you're fine. And all of a sudden, you get to a certain point when you're trying to get into San Francisco, and if it's that bad, it can take you. It'll make your it'll it'll make your ride two hours, two and a half hours. If it's raining, it's even worse. And I the biggest problem with San Francisco now is all the Uber and Lyft drivers. The city is not meant or built to have that many cars in it at one time. You have so many in these big cities now. That's become the problem is that you have so many cars that normally would not be there that are now clogging up all the different streets. And then all the people that have to get on the Bay Bridge to go home for afternoons, and they're clogging up, oh. It it, it is just, you know, when you live in, in a spot where there's a lot of jobs and there's a lot of great places to live, you know, you're going to have to deal with traffic. I saw this thing where they, uh, I think it was the Wall Street Journal put this thing out today about how some markets building is just up crazy. And two of them they mentioned were Boise and Grand Rapids. Well, guess what? I'm not living in either. I've been to Grand Rapids, Michigan. You couldn't pay me to live there. So Boise, the story behind that is because everyone here started moving to Seattle because uh, that was a, where the tech stuff was starting to take off a little bit. And then everyone from Seattle started migrating, was that the southeast, to Boise. And Boise is actually one of the places I've wanted, I would live in and I've wanted to visit. I'm supposed to go there this, this year to see Boise play. I just want to see the blue turf. But, yeah, Boise, the reason why people are moving to Boise is because everyone's starting to move out of Seattle down to there. And Austin, Texas is another one. Yeah, well, there's jobs in Austin. There's a lot of tech going down in Austin. Hey, uh, last time I was in Austin, have fun with this. It was like the 32nd straight day of over 100 degrees with humidity. Oh, it's cheaper. Yeah, there's a reason. There's a reason it's cheaper. The weather sucks. It's awful. Do do you remember what happened to the A's when we were in Texas and they had tornadoes that killed people and they had... And, the, and our plane, the stairs to our plane went into the wing of the plane and our plane was damaged? Yeah, there's a reason it's cheaper. Have fun living in Texas. No way. I'm fine right where I am. And I got somebody else from the 510 saying, Townie, I'm more impressed that A-Rod found Street Park. Was he, in, was, he, was he not in the lot? How could A-Rod not have... I think he was on, like, the 400 block of Brandon. How does he not have a parking pass? I think Roxy tweeted out that it's a very small parking lot, so maybe A-Rod's rental car didn't get access. Try to tell me Alex Rodriguez doing Sunday Night Baseball doesn't get a 
Doesn't are you calling Flem? Um, yeah, he didn't answer the first time. Flem's a perfect guy to ask his first question out of the gate to. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't believe he had five hundred thousand dollars worth of goods in his rent a car. I mean, elect electronics. Electronics aren't that expensive. I mean, what's he got? Rings and and necklaces and stuff. I mean, it's got to be the jewelry has got to make up the majority of it. But when you read this story, I mean, the first thing I think of is how how's a guy doing Sunday night baseball? That's what you should text Mac. We got Vasquez's number, right? We should test Vasquez and say he didn't have a he didn't have a, a a parking pass, or he's not on the list to get into the lot. All right, is he not answering? All right, we're efforting Dave Fleming. We'll hopefully have Flem, one of the voices of the Giants, one of the top broadcasters in the country. We'll have him next right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep. Bam going back, looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. It's one out. Pete Alonso, he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. All right, we're going to get Dave Fleming on here in just a moment. And don't forget, Kevin Mitchell is going to join us, the 1989 MVP. will join us coming up here at 6.30. What a monster year he had in 1989. So we had the 1988 MVP in Jose Canseco, and we have the 1989 MVP. It's an MVP day. Some days have been Hall of Famers. Today is going to be MVP day. So Dave Fleming does Dave Fleming does an outstanding job doing a lot of different things for ESPN, also for the San Francisco Giants, but his work on ESPN, I'm sure he's got a full college football schedule coming up. As I hard to believe, you know, working Saturday on the Raiders broadcast, it was hard to believe, like, God, football is here. I mean, we're we're just we're heating up the pennant pennant chase here, the pennant race, and now we're getting into football. Do we have him? Dave, this is Chris Townsend. Thank you so much for coming on the program. Hey, Chris. Sorry, my phone was on silent. I was uh, it was sitting right next to me, and I just didn't pick it up. Sorry. No, oh, no worries. No worries. Welcome to A's Cast Live. This is uh, something that's pretty new with baseball, but I think in time, every single team is going to be doing this. Well, cool. I'm glad to be with you. So I was just talking about football and working the Raider game on Saturday. I'm sure you got a full football schedule coming up with ESPN. I've got a schedule that starts in, uh, well, I guess two weeks from uh, this Friday. So, uh, yeah, we're getting close, real close. So, going to be honoring the 1989 San Francisco Giants, and, of course, we're going to be honoring the 1989 Oakland Athletics who won the World Series. You know, because of the earthquake, this World Series, you know, is kind of forgotten. I'm really happy, how about you, that, that we're finally honoring these two teams that really had terrific players on it. 
Well, they're two teams that were very important to their franchises, both of them. Uh, and even though the A's ended up winning, uh, you know, the Giants had been a franchise that had been struggling for a long time. And it was that group of players that started in 86 and 87, but it sort of culminated in 89 that shepherded in the whole era of Giants baseball that continues to this day, got the ballpark built and whatnot. So, right. I mean, it was, those were two really important teams in the history of Bay Area baseball, and they are defined in a way by just the, the, the fact that the earthquake happened before game three, and that isn't fair. And uh, I think for Giants and A's fans, uh, they appreciate those guys. And so probably they didn't need all this, but those players are still worth celebrating and remembering. No doubt about it. And I, I think about how we've lost some of the players from those teams, and I'm just happy we're finally going to honor them. And, and I also think it's very tough when organizations just say, we're only going to retire the numbers of Hall of Famers because not every guy is a Hall of Famer, but some guys are worth retiring because they were great players. And I think Will Clark is one of those guys. And, you know, having watched him in college, in the College World Series and following his career, I'm really happy for Will. He's been very generous generous to us with his time. Just how great is that going to be for Giants fans, for Will the Thrill to have his number retired? Well, he's a beloved player, and it is great. And I, I'm with you. I mean, that is a high standard. Now, when you have franchises like the Giants and the A's, who have so many Hall of Famers, so many great players, uh, you know, it is difficult because at some point you got to draw a line. There has to be a distinction. So when you have the histories that these two franchises have, the Hall of Fame bar is, in a lot of ways, kind of the easiest one to, to use. But, but Will... And, you know, I mean, I mean, of the modern era, you could throw Tim Lincecum in there. I think a guy who just meant more than just the on-field performance. You know, that to me is, is it's not just about performance on the field. It's also about meaning to the franchise, meaning to the fans. And Will easily, easily clears that bar. And, I, you know, I, I frankly, I think Will Clark has a pretty darn good case to actually be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, and maybe that'll never happen. Although, you know, some of the recent inductees, I think Will has every bit as good an argument as some of the players that have been put in the Hall of Fame here recently. Uh, and who knows, maybe that'll get revisited at some point. I think that would be pretty cool for him. He quit young. Uh, you know, he wanted to be at home with his son, and his son is just thriving and doing great. And I think Will doesn't regret for one second that decision. Uh, but uh, it may have cost him a better chance to be in there because, you look at his career numbers, they are super, super impressive. And maybe he's just missing, you know, some some compilation numbers, just some bulk hits and home runs, and he would have been in. Yeah, and the guy that was uh, a part of that team was the MVP. He was Kevin Mitchell. He's going to be joining us coming up here at 630. He was obviously also a big part of it. Let's talk about the current Giants right now at 59 and 60. We thought they were going to be big sellers at the deadline. They weren't. They're letting this team have a shot. Where do you think they really are three and a half games back with the wild card? Do you really think they're contenders? Well, I think they I think the players earned a chance to play it out. And I think that's how the Giants saw it. When they played as well as they did in July, I think that it was a it was a strong statement from those players to everybody in the franchise, hey, we want a chance to see what happens. And they, they do have a shot. I mean the the schedule is hard. The Giants, you know, road games from here till the end of the year are Arizona and Oakland and Atlanta and Boston and Chicago and St. Louis and L.A. I mean, it is a hard, hard 
away schedule for the Giants from now until the end of the year. That makes it tough. But I think they have a chance. I mean, nobody in the National League has, has looked invincible to me. Every one of those teams that they're competing against has flaws. And so, I, I, you know, I mean, is it a long shot? It's probably a long shot just based on where they sit with the number of teams they're competing against. But I'm glad they've let this group at least try to play it out. Are you shocked L.A. didn't do anything major for their bullpen? Uh, I wasn't shocked, but I was surprised. And I think part of it is it's not just on the Dodgers. It's part of the reason why the Giants didn't sell any of their pieces. I mean, I think in both directions, there is an unrealistic uh, expectation about what players are worth and what prospects are worth and you know, I don't think the Giants, if the Giants have been blown away by an offer for Madison Bumgarner, I think they probably would have made the move or at least would have really strongly considered making the move. Uh, and the Dodgers, I think, are one of those teams where they had to blow somebody away and they weren't willing, were not willing at all to give up one of the, you know, four or five best young players. It's hard to argue with their strategy. I mean, they've held on to all these guys who have come up and uh, been extremely successful for them. Uh, it's really hard to argue with that logic. Hey, yeah, where would we be without uh, Will Smith, the catcher now, and Cody Bellinger and Corey Seager and Alex Verdugo and all the names that we heard over the last five years in those trade rumors? So I get where teams are coming from when they protect their young talent, when they think that young talent is really special. Uh, but their weakness, you know, if that comes back to haunt them, they are going to have regrets. They are because, uh, you know, it's been their weakness now for a couple of years. And they had a chance to address it. One player, they would have gotten the best guy on the market. And they weren't willing to give him up. So when I look at Mass and Bumgarner, it's just like everything has changed. And I still think he's more valuable to the Giants than to anybody else. Do you see him staying with the Giants long term? I don't know. I think at this point he's going to explore free agency. I mean, I don't see him now at this point signing a deal that would preempt him going out there in the market and seeing what's out there. And I, I don't blame any player ever for doing that. And that's the right of these guys who uh, earn the time and uh, get to free agency. That's their right to go do that. Yeah. I don't know what the offer is going to be like you, but you might be right that he's more valuable to the giants, but I think his value is being underestimated by the game at large. Number one, I think the reason why I would be, interested in Bumgarner as a trade piece or would have been these last few weeks if I were a contending team is uh, there is value to me in a guy who is built like he is. I mean, come October, it's going to be interesting to see whether it's in the, on the American league side with some of the twins pitchers who maybe are getting pushed or even some of those Cleveland pitchers like Shane Bieber who are getting pushed who haven't uh, had that long full season or seasons before. Or on the National League side, maybe it's the Braves with Soroka or Bueller and the Dodgers and some of their young guys or whatever. Bumgarner in October is the same as Bumgarner in July. He doesn't run out of gas. He's built to be the same guy. To me, there's a lot of value in that. And I think there is increasing awareness that this obsession with bullpen and and using the bullpen during the regular season is hurting teams, and and I'm not saying I don't understand the reasons why teams do it, but these bullpens are getting beat up, and this weekend was a great demonstration. The Giants got two long starts from their starters, Bumgarner and Samarja, and then last night on Sunday they were able to go 
through the whole bullpen and win a game that they would not have won otherwise without those starters pitching deep into games. And so maybe come playoff time, teams are going to shift back into that bullpen mode, but there's huge value in a guy who will take the ball and give you innings and protect some of those other pitchers. And that's what he gives you. Amen. I mean, there's this delicate balance of how far you want your starter to go, how much bullpen, and the minute your starters stop going deep, it just destroys your bullpen. And what's the first thing the front office says? Well, we got to get our pitchers to start pitching more, our starters pitching more innings. So it's these bullpens pitching more innings than ever before for 162 games. It gets to be pretty rough. I totally agree, and I think we're seeing that. We're, there is a reason why so many teams in baseball are having a hard time pitching out of their bullpen. There is a reason. And that reason is, is that they're asking too much of those guys too consistently and it works in the short term and you do pay a price in the long term. I'm not saying I don't understand the math. I do a starter the third time through the fourth time through ask any hitter. They believe that that is easier when you've seen a guy a couple times that day, there is an advantage for the hitter at that point, but sometimes over 162 over the long haul of the year, you got to be willing to not go just by the percentages and play the long game. And I think, you know, there's been nobody in baseball who's been better at that than Bruce Bochy. It's one of his underrated skills as a manager. He will leave guys in. Maybe he gets burned every once in a while. Maybe you can point to those percentages every once in a while and say, ah, see, he should have made the move earlier. But over the long haul of the season, he protects his pitchers and his arms are fresh at the end of the year. And there's a lot to be said for that. Let's end on this. Obviously, we all love baseball. But when it comes to football as a broadcaster, what is it like when you're going to do a game, two heated rivals, there's 100,000 people in the stands? What is that like for you? Well, it is different. And now, playoff baseball, big baseball is a similar feeling where every pitch, every moment, the crowd's on edge. But college football is like that, a big game, every single snap. The fans are so into it, and it's why I really love and, – and you get that in the NFL and the big games too, but it is why I love the, the college game because the atmospheres and the fan bases are just so passionate. They're so into it. They care so much. Uh, for me, it, you know, it just it makes it a lot easier to call the game. You don't have to provide any sort of fake energy or enthusiasm. The game provides that. You let the big moments speak for themselves. But it's the, they're the most fun things to do. They are. And uh, it's why I look forward to college football every fall. Dave, great stuff. We appreciate it. We'll see you tomorrow night. Anytime, Chris. See you soon. Dave Fleming. Yeah, big-time college football. Now you're talking about 100,000-plus people. It's huge. And, yeah, do they care? Oh, my God, do they care. This is I mean, These schools and their fan bases are absolutely unreal. We've got a little Giants A's tomorrow. Mark Canna, will he be bat flipping again? That would be classic. If we got a big bat flip from Mark Canna, what a godsend Mark Canna has been for the athletics this year. Okay, coming up next, the biggest upset of the year. Yes, there can be upsets during the regular season, and we just had one of the biggest in the past 15 years. We'll talk about it right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. 
Well, if you're just getting here, boy, you've missed a lot. Kerry Crowley from the Bay Area News Group joined us. Jose Canseco was at 445. Ben Ross from NBC Sports at 5. Barry Zito at 530. Kevin Mitchell, MVP from 1989, is going to join us coming up here at the bottom of the hour. We're trying to get our buddy Stephen Vogt. I believe in Stephen Vogt. We're trying to get him for the show tomorrow. Talk about his time with the athletics. Man, I thought he was done. I thought his uh, career was over. And he's resurrected himself, which is good to see. No question. Okay, so some historic numbers we're going to give you in just a sec. But before we do that... The Orioles got a win against the Astros. Do you think that's a big deal? Well, I mean, it's just one win, right? Oh, it was bigger than just one win. Going up against Justin Verlander, the Orioles were listed as a plus 420 underdogs. That's crazy. The Washington Nationals beat the Minnesota Twins as underdogs, plus 390 in 2007. According to the sports betting database, betlabsports.com, which has data back to 2005, the Miami Marlins topped Clayton Kershaw and the Los Angeles Dodgers. That was at plus 320 last season. But the Astros... They closed at Caesars as minus 460 favorites. <laughs> Can you imagine you bet on that game? You could have you would have made huge loot. Absolute huge loot. And then there's the Yankees and the Orioles. Coming into today's doubleheader. The Yankees have won 13 of their first 15 against the O's. And 12 in a row. The Yankees are 44-16 and 16 against AL East opponents this year. The Yankees coming into the doubleheader had hit 52 home runs in 15 games against the Orioles in 2019. And that's the most home runs by any team against any opponent in Major League history in one season. And guess what? They're playing a doubleheader today. And guess what happened between the Yankees and the Orioles? Torres powers that to left field and deep. Going back, Peterson. He has done it again. This is absolutely absurd. Glaber, the Oriole killer, his 13th of the year against Baltimore. And I can only imagine what Gary Thorne is saying. I'm going to go tell Gary Thorne I've had enough, too. I am. <laughs> All righty, so they played earlier today, and they're playing again right now. But earlier today, they hit one, two, three, four home runs. So that gives them 56 home runs in in 16, 56 home runs in 16 games. They're playing again. What's happened? There's three more home runs. So they've now hit 59 home runs 
in 17 games against the Orioles. By far the record, and we're not even close. And they have two more left to play. Glaber Torres has 26 home runs on the year. Half of them are against the Orioles. The record is Lou Gehrig has 14 home runs versus the Indians in 1936. I think Glaber Torres might get there. Or if the Orioles were smart, they would just stop pitching to him. Well, think of this, too. It's a, There were far more games between the Yankees and the Indians back in those days because there was less teams. I mean, this is crazy. 59 home runs in 17 games against somebody? For those of you tracking at home like I have, that's 248 home runs allowed by the Orioles. The record is 258 by the 2016 Reds. It's August 12th, people. No, this no, record, no, 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 no. They, they, they had 241 home runs allowed coming into today, and they allowed oh, seven. Okay. So yeah. there are 248 on the year. They're 10 off from the record. It's it's August 12th. They're only one shy of the American League record. The American League record for most home runs set by your 2017 Orioles and White Sox was 242. So they've blown past. the Amer- they, they are now the American League champs in giving up home runs. It's, we should have a celebration when they break the record at 258, which will probably be this weekend. Oh, my God. I mean. They're on pace. Okay, before they allowed the seven today, and the game's still going on. We're only in the seventh. Do you know what they're on pace for going into today? Before, like, come before today, like last week, there it was like three thirty-three. They were on pace going into today to give up three hundred and thirty-four home runs, and that's seven more today. I think that number's going to go up a little bit. Yeah, they're going to, I mean, forget the 258 set by the Reds. That's nothing. Now, my question to you is, is this team still worse than the 35-80 and 80 Detroit Tigers, who are woefully bad, and we discussed that last week and how bad they are, their pitching staff has, on pace to have the lowest winning percentage ever for starters? Well, the fact that they we're looking at, they got to win at least nine games the rest of the way to, to not have 119 losses. Tells you just how bad the Tigers are. The Tigers' record is worse than the Orioles. How is that possible? How is that possible? Someone from the 209 asked, can you replay the interview? Which interview are you talking about? We can do anything we want. If you miss Jose Canseco, he was fabulous. Jose's great. I love Jose. I don't know why everybody's so down on Jose Canseco. He's funny. He's he's honest. Has he made some mistakes? Yes. But why are people like, he's not a bad guy at all. Not at all. Coming up next... We're going to have the MVP from 1989, the National League MVP, the Boogie Bear. Kevin Mitchell is going to join us right here on A's Cast Live. Hey, this is Fred of the B-52s, and whenever my flying saucer is over Oakland, I listen to A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Yeah, Cody's having a problem. 
It's funny when people call you when they know you're on the air. Kevin Mitchell was a beast. He had a terrific career. The 1989 MVP. 291, 47 jacks, 125 RBIs, 1,023 OPS. I mean, he in the middle of that lineup with Will Clark, boy, they were just incredible. And Kevin Mitchell is with us now. Kevin, Chris Townsend with the Oakland Athletics, thank you so much for taking the time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, you guys are welcome. You know, I think it's so cool that we're honoring both 1989 teams. Obviously, you're San Francisco Giants. We're going to be doing it for the Oakland Athletics because I really feel like those teams never really got their due, and a lot had to do with the earthquake. The earthquake, but how much fun is it going to be getting back together with all your guys and celebrating that terrific team? Well, I tell you what, man, it's it's a great enjoyment that that uh, San Francisco Giants put that on, man. I tell you, it's a beautiful thing to see all the guys come back. And uh, just, uh, I'm telling you, it was a red carpet day for us that, the last few couple of days. And that year for you, obviously uh, winning a World Series with the Mets, but then you come over to the Giants. What was it about that year, your MVP year, that you just cl- you just clicked and you had a monster season? Well, I tell you what, everything worked out fine. Everything went well. I, it was everything was perfect for me, and uh, I didn't feel like anything can go wrong. But the only thing that went wrong was the earthquake, and we didn't lose the uh, World Series to the Oakland A's. What did you think about when you guys were getting ready to play the A's, knowing that they had so much firepower? <laughs> yeah, I talk about that now, man. You know, I think it was a little intimidation involved in that, but. You know, they had the Bash brothers over there, and then they had both Hendersons and um, uh, Dave Parker. Uh, I tell you, they had a dynamic team over there, man. They had some great pitching, you know, and uh, I, I really think if we would, if that earthquake wouldn't have hit, we would, we, I think we had a chance because we were there and we had a good chemistry with our team and we had a good nucleus. So we, we, we had a we had a good idea, a good plan that what was going to happen. I think when the earthquake hit, it ruined our whole plans for us. Uh, and, I, and I think about the guy in that lineup with you where you guys are so successful, Will Clark, Will the Thrill, and they're going to retire his number. Talk about what it was like hitting with Will Clark in that lineup. I'll tell you what, I go to war with Will, you know, and uh, – He's uh he was he's a great teammate. He's a good friend of mine now. So uh, you know I got a lot of respect for him. And I, I'm so proud of him. I'm happy for what's going on for him. They're going to retire his number, and I tell you, it's a great thing. So yeah, and, and and speaking about the earthquake, you know, it's like there was so much devastation in Northern California. How tough was it to kind of get back into World Series mode after it happened? I think it was very tough for a lot of our players. I mean, even on both sides. Uh, I mean, it's, it was something drastic that really happened. I think I, I don't think the city can ever get over that, you know. But I think baseball kind of helped out a lot when we was able to continue to play the World Series. And uh, I, it was just thankful that both sides was in this World, World Series that, at that time. Man, one of the teams was going to win, and then, and they came out victory on us. And uh, 
it showed that that they was the most uh, they was the most they was the better team. Yeah, but both both of you guys had had fantastic years. But what is it like when you get around these guys? It's it's been a long time, but what is it like when you come together? Oh man, I tell you, um, you know, a lot of us ain't seen each other. Hopefully, a lot of us can walk on the field again. You know, so. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a great thing. So uh, it's going to be a blessing that we uh, that we can go out there and walk again and be in front of the crowd like that. I tell you, if it wasn't for San Francisco and the city of Oakland, I don't think the players can can even be the players that they ever was. I think the city of uh, Oakland and the city of San Francisco, you got the greatest fans in baseball. And how about, let's talk about one of your old franchises, and you won a World Series with the New York Mets, and all of a sudden the Mets were, they were dysfunctional, and they got to get rid of the manager, and the GM doesn't know what he's doing, and then the Mets have gotten hot, and right now they're like the hottest team in baseball, and the Mets are back in it. Have you been following the Mets and what they're doing in 2019? Yeah, I've been following, you know, I follow baseball a lot, you know, and I watch, I try to watch all the games, especially all the teams that I played with. But uh, I tell you, I always thought they had a great team over there. They just had to put it together. They got great pitching. You know, even when they come to San Diego, I watch them a lot. So, but it's just, they, they just had to put it together and it seems like they're putting it together right now. So. Yeah, and and I think about your guys' group. I mean, you talk about a dynamic group in 1986. You guys had a ton of characters on that team. Well, if you can't have fun, you're not going to win. So that's the main thing. you got to have fun before you step between the white lines. So uh, I had a lot of fun with that New York Mets team, and I learned a lot from a lot of players over there, especially Gary Carter, Keith Fernandez, you know, and may Carter rest in peace, but – you know, it was just, uh, like I said, I was a young kid then, and uh, and they taught me a lot about the game. So uh, I tip my hat to them. Well, I, I've always been a big fan of yours. I'm also from San Diego, and you went to Lincoln. I graduated from Crawford, so I always followed your career and what a career it was. And we'll see you up here when you're being honored. And thank you so much for the time, and be well. Well, I didn't go to Lincoln. I went to Claremont. You went to Claremont? <laughs> I, I thought you went to Lincoln. No, my brothers and them did. I think I, you know, I was on the the busing program. I went to Claremont. Oh, you were, you, were, uh, you know, they go Ridgemont High. The, you, you, they, with the movie. Yeah, you were with all the surfers. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was a surfer. You know, I had long hair. I was a surfer. <laughs> no, I was a surfer. <laughs> yeah, if, if if people don't know, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, one of the great movies, was based off Claremont High, where you went to school. I didn't know you went to Claremont. Yes, I went to Claremont with uh, Bobby Garrett. Oh, okay. Yeah, Bobby Garrett, former uh, Oakland Athletics manager. Yes, sir. I did. Well, cool stuff, Kevin. Thank you so much, and be well. All right, you guys enjoy it. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. The great Kevin Mitchell, 47 bombs, 125 RBIs, hit 291, over 1,000 OPS. That season, he was huge. But to be on that Mets team, you want to talk about crazy. I mean, that was, you know, if they were going to be testing in baseball back then, they wouldn't be testing for PEDs. They'd be testing for street drugs back then. And just the things that you hear, I mean, from Doc Gooden to Lenny Dykstra 
the guys that they had on that team, Gary Carter, oh, man, Daryl Strawberry, the 1986 Mets. And the Mets are one of those franchises, you know, like like quite a few. You know, they, they've got two. We've got the Miracle Mets, and you got that Mets team. But they've been on hard times for a while. Go ahead, Cody. I know you want to play it. Meet the Mets. Meet the Mets. Step right up and greet the Mets. Bring your kitties. Bring your wife. Get bring your kitties. Bring your wife. Every team should have a song. Every team should have a song. So you're a fan of the Cubs? Hey, Chicago, what do you oh, say? Oh, yeah, that's great. Cubs are going to win today? Oh, I love songs. You kidding me? Every team should have a song. We got ours. But not every team does, I don't think. Like, what song? Like, the Seattle Mariners have something? I think I believe it was MLB Cut Four put an article out earlier, like last month, and they ranked every team's victory song. And I remember Celebration was not very high on the list. What? And I, I think like the worst was like Tampa was St. Louis and and the Nationals because they don't have a song whenever they win. Uh, the Brewers use Hall Notes, so I'm a big fan of that. I, I'm trying to the remember. The Brewers who, use they use Make My Dreams from Hall Notes. I'm trying to. They were like 13th though. I thought they were ranked way too low on that list. I'm trying to remember who number one was. I know the Giants are up there pretty high. Uh, the Yankees were. Uh, I'll see if I can find uh, the list real quick. Yeah, find that. Because I'm trying to think, like, when I've been on the road with the A's, like, I don't remember the Rangers having a, a song. I don't remember the I – don't, I don't remember the Mariners. Tampa – Let's see, I was in Detroit, but they didn't win a game. They swept that with the one game remaining. And then uh, Cleveland, they swept that, so I wouldn't have heard the song. The A's are 20th on the list. Cool and the Gang only got 20th? It's yeah. one of the great songs. Forget ballpark songs. It's Cool and the Gang. It's one of those songs, the minute you hear it, everybody knows what it is. It's a great wedding song. Oh, it's played at every wedding. It's like Friends in Low Places by Garth Brooks will be played at every wedding. Uh, I I say that now for the when I want to get married for the second time, this has to be played, and We Are Family from Sister Sledge has to be played because, well, that's my Pirates fandom, but also it's a great song for weddings. I, I wonder, since this song came out, what year did it come out? I'll look that up. Cool. And the gang celebration. Let's see. What year? It's 70. I'm going to say 70. Probably around 70. Oh, released in 1980. 1980, yeah. Okay, so since 1980, how many weddings do you think this has been played at? That's, what, 39 years worth of weddings? Can you imagine that number? What are the other, what are the other, what? I'll go to the top 10. Uh, let's see. Number 10 was the Yankees, New York, New York, Frank Sinatra. Oh, God. Number nine, High Hopes by Frank Sinatra for the Phillies. Uh, the Giants, I Left My Heart in San Francisco by Tony Bennett. That's a good one. 
Red Sox, Dirty Water by the Sandells. Never, never heard it. Uh, Mariners, number six, with Fire by Jimi Hendrix. They play Jimi Hendrix? Oh, there's a couple Jimi Hendrix. Oh, no, okay. Uh, Reds, Unstoppable by Foxy Shazam. Number four is the Dodgers, I Love L.A. From we love it. Randy Newman, I like that. The Tigers, Go Get Them Tigers. Well, I don't know if they want to play that anymore. Well, they don't, they don't ever get to play that anymore. Uh, Prince and Let's Go Crazy, number two for the Twins. Uh, he's and, from Minnesota. I get and that. And number one is the Indians in the song Cleveland Rocks, if you watched the Drew Carey show. You're trying to tell me cool in the gang. Is not even in the top ten, and how successful that song was. Forget that it's the A thing. Here's Cleveland Rocks. Hold on, let me see if I can get to the best part. This is not. This is not better than Cool in the Gang. Uh, you'll never hear me say anything positive about Cleveland as a Pittsburgh guy, but um, yeah, that's a bad. That's not a bad choice. Uh, then again, the Pirates are ranked in the top, in the bottom five of the list, so I can't really complain. Well, I can tell you, that was not one of the, one of the. I mean, I, I did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That was cool, but Cleveland is terrible. There's literally, I mean, what are you going to do? That's what people say. You know, traveling with a baseball team. What are you going to do? You don't get done with the game until ten, ten thirty, or whatever. By the time you take the bus or. What are you going to do in Cleveland on Tuesday night? I'd say go to the Great Lakes Brewery, but I don't even know if that's even open then. So that's No, out. everything was closed. We, downtown where we were staying, except uh, Glenn Kuyper's favorite bar. So they have a restaurant called Johnny's, and right behind Johnny's is, is a little bar called Little Johnny's. So Little Johnny's is just this little just hole-in-the-wall bar. It's uh, Glenn, see, Glenn and Ray – have great memories of Cleveland. Obviously, Ray being one of the great Indians of all time, and Glenn spent a lot of time in Cleveland because his brother Dwayne played there. His only home run came in Cleveland. That's his only home run in Cleveland. Uh, by the way, Glenn Kuyper tomorrow, 5 o'clock on the show. We will talk We'll talk about Little Johnny's. It was a cool little spot, but Cleveland wasn't my favorite. I do like the Rock and Roll Hall. I wish I would add more time. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, it, it's amazing what they have in there. It's a great place to go. It's like I went there on an eighth-grade field trip, and I don't know why we went to Cleveland. Oh, because we're supposed to go to Toronto, and the SARS outbreak happened. So the alternative was let's go to Six Flags in Cleveland. Mm, sounds like fun. Yeah, it was great. It was a wonderful trip. Six Flags was fun, but Cleveland not so much. Yeah, I'm not a not a big Cleveland guy. There's a lot of lot of lot of places you could go. I remember the first time I went to Cleveland. And uh, we were in the airport, and was it the eight? It, it was it was in the nineties, but everybody still dressed and looked like they were in the eighties. And I remember my brother and I were walking around the airport. We're going, oh my god, everybody's like stuck in nineteen eighty six here. They haven't evolved into the nine. I think this was like nineteen ninety five, and it was like everybody looked like they still because you know every era has styles, right? And they all were still in the eighties style. It was pretty hilarious. Best thing they went to Cleveland, the movie Major League, probably. And Chris Rose. Their sports teams have really taken it on the chin. The Cavs won a title a couple years ago. I, I think we can go past the too soon moniker here with the, the Warriors. It was a couple years ago. The Cavs have fallen on hard times since. The Browns. Hey, don't sleep on Baker. 
Don't sleep on the Browns and Freddie Kitchens. Oh God, the Browns. I didn't think the tribe tribe looked like they have twice they've come so close to the World Series. The last time they won the World Series was uh, 1948. The only reason why I know that is because my grandfather was on the Boston Braves, the team that lost. They haven't won a World Series since 1948, and they've had some really good teams. The they have. That team that lost to the Cubs was really good. That 97 team that lost to the Marlins was really good. Really, they, yeah. They, the, the, that, was a, that was a perennial playoff team, the Tribe. And at that point, they uh, Jacobs Field, they had the longest sellout streak of all time. There were a couple. I believe there was a couple Hall of Famers on that team, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jim Tomei. Yeah, he was pretty good. I think Roberto Alomar was on that team. Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer. He wasn't on, was he on the 97 team? I mean, Manny Ramirez would have been a Hall of Famer. Who else is on the Hall of Fame from that team? Was Eddie Murray there at that time? Checking out the 1997 Cleveland Indians. How many Hall of Famers were on that? By the way, tomorrow we got to get into we got some numbers on how many great players there are in baseball under 25. It's absolutely sick. Okay, so we got Tommy. Uh, Omar Vizquel is a fringe Hall of Famer. He's not in yet. Uh, the great Bip Roberts was on that team. Our guy Matt Williams was on that team. Forgot about that. And, and David Justice. Uh, so Sean, you- Sean Casey was young on that team of the MLB Network. Oral, Horsche- Oral Hershiser was on that team. Bartolo. Okay, so they only had one. No, 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 no. Go up. Do they have Eddie Murray on the team? Uh, I don't see Eddie Murray. Keep going. Keep going. Keep Kevin Mitchell was on that team. <laughs> was he really? Yeah. But they have, they have the picture of Eddie Murray up here. They have, oh, no, that's not him. I guess that only one Hall of Fame, so they didn't have Alomar yet either. Uh, let's see, second baseman was Tony Fernandez. Tony Fernandez was playing second. Julio Franco was on the team at age 38. He played about 10 more years after that. You ready for a little buying or selling? It's time for buying or selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Uh, that, that Indian team also had one of the greatest names ever for a pitcher, Paul Assenmacher. It's a great, it's a great baseball name there. I'm going to promote this because uh, after Ace Cast Live today, we're going to have the Las Vegas Aviators and the greatest baseball team ever taking on the Omaha Storm Chasers. The game's in progress, so you're going to join them in progress. But no, They're not the greatest team, they're the greatest offense. The though. greatest offensive team in the history of baseball coming up at 7 o'clock here on Ace Cast. Where are we in the game? I have it right here, the Aviators. It's top six, Omaha's winning 3 nothing. Oh, you're going to get to hear the comeback, the great comeback. And Fran, the Fran Reardon, friend of the program. And Russ Langer, the, the voice of the Aviators. Sorry, I'm, I'm searching for my sheet here. This is this is great. Yeah, well. You are totally unprepared. All right, so this I read this the other day. Johnny Cueto made a second rehab start in rookie level Arizona League Friday. He backs it at 92 miles an hour, right line with the low 90s fastball he spotted before going down with Tommy John surgery. Now, while the Giants' August hasn't been as good as they thought it would be with the, going for the surprise wildcard run, Cueto back on the mound this season could offer something of a morale boost for a still important piece of the organization. He still owed $47 million for the remainder of his six-year contract. Through 20- <laughs> he has a buyout, though, of $5 million in 2022 for the club option. 
Buying or selling, Johnny Cueto will return this season from Tommy John. Selling. I don't think they're going to rush him back either. No, I think because I think they're going to get to a point here. As Dave Fleming said, they've got a, they've got some heavy hitters that they got to go up against, and then at some point they're going to be out of the race, and then you're going to be like, you know, you know, because he he's he's in the protocol. Tommy John, there's protocol. They they want you like when did he get the they really want you 14 months? It was last August, I believe he had the surgery. So it's been 12. It'll be about 12 months this month. Yeah. So if he comes back next month, it's like 13. What's the? Why are you gonna throw him out there for three starts? Just let him get the full. He'll heal all the way through spring training. Yeah. And then you bring him back then. I'm selling. So uh, Miguel Cabrera plays on the worst team in the history of baseball, the 35 and 80 Detroit Tigers. He's currently hitting 285 with eight home runs and 31 RBIs this season. He has a career 69.5 WAR with a 315 average, 473 homers. 1,681 RBIs and a career 937 OPS. He's won a triple crown, two MVPs, 11 All-Star games, four batting titles, and he won a World Series with the 2003 Marlins. He currently has a higher war than Tony Gwynn, Eddie Murray, Tim Raines, Pudge, Carlton Fisk, Harmon Killebrew, Willie Sargent, and Ernie Banks. Buying or selling that Miguel Cabrera will be a first ballot Hall of Famer? Oh, yeah. I'm totally buying that. I was listening to something earlier. I, I, I think I think you're now going to see everybody start to be a unanimous Hall of Famer. If you're, like, really, really good. Like, if you've had one of the best, like, it, someone really not going to vote for Jeter. Now that we know who's voting and we know what your vote is, it's going to make you very tough. Like, you're going to be the one that leaves Jeter off. You're going to – because you're going to catch wrath. Like, the, the town of, of the guy. Like, you don't vote for Miguel Cabrera. You're going to have – the Detroit media at your door. Oh yeah, and, I mean, like, he, why would you? Why would you not vote for? You just gave those numbers. He's a career what OPS? Uh, Nine thirty-seven. And you're gonna say that guy? And what's his WAR? Uh, Sixty-nine point five, and he's still playing. So that's number's gonna go up. Now Mike Trout has a higher WAR, but that's Mike Trout. He's the greatest player ever. So uh, over the weekend, Aristides Aquino. Hit three home runs in a game for the Reds. He currently, this is coming into today, is hitting 452 with uh, seven home runs. Now, Bo Bichette is now hitting 400 again because he had four hits today for the Blue Jays. And we know about his extra base streak and all that. Uh, my guy, the greatest special player I've ever seen, Jordan Alvarez, who's going to break the home run record, had three home runs yesterday against the Orioles. Or no, Saturday night against the Orioles, and they're 23-2 to two nail-biter in Baltimore. Currently, he's hitting 355 with 17 homers, 51 RBIs, and has an OPS of 1.164 in 46 games. Buying or selling Arsidius Aquino, who, it, who has seven home runs in 10 games, is the greatest rookie we've ever seen. Why do you throw this dumb stuff out at me? Because, because I think it's funny. Uh, I'm selling that. Who is the greatest rookie we've ever seen? It's Boba Shett. I thought we went over this last week. About Ted Williams. Actually, it could be Pete Alonso if he breaks the home run record, to be honest. Albert Pujols. He was pretty good. Each row won an MVP his rookie year. Fred Lynn. There's a lot of guys. I'm just forgetting. Recency bias. Any rookie that does well, I'm going to throw this Fred, Fred Fred Lynn legitly won an MVP as a rookie. So did Ichiro. Ichiro was not a rookie. Ichiro had already been paid to play baseball in Japan. It's a joke that we call them. It's a joke we call those guys rookies. One rookie I left out, Pirates rookie from the Giants I got in a trade, 
Brian Reynolds could be the first rookie to ever win the batting title. He's currently leading all of baseball with a 335 average. Yeah, when you've been, I mean, how many years did Ichiro play in the Japanese league? It would have been, let's see, what is that, seven? So seven, seven years. Seven or eight, because he's playing in the, 27. You're playing in the Japanese league, and you now come over here and you're a, a rookie. No, I don't buy that. Okay, so before Sunday's game against the Reds, Joe Madden answered a lot of questions from the media about the, the Cubs' run and the playoffs and all that stuff. But Madden said he thinks his future will not be, be determined by the rest of how the rest of 2019 plays out. To reduce it to just wins and losses, that makes no sense at all, Madden said. It's all about interaction. It's about communication and the ability to work together. I think that's really what it comes down to. Now, when asked if he thinks he's going to be back next year, he said, I believe we'll be together for a couple more years at least. Buying or selling, Joe Madden will be the Cubs manager for a couple more years. I'm buying. Because you've won with him. He has the respect of the room. And it's and it's dicey. It's so dicey when you when you change. And if you don't make the right change, because right now you have a window of a team you think can win another World Series, and you're risking that window by changing managers. Now, a guy could come in, maybe do a better job and win, but also could come in and do a worse job and have that window close on you. So I, I I wouldn't get rid of him personally. I'm going to save the Al Avila one for tomorrow, and I'm going to get to one. The that w- GM of the worst baseball team in baseball? Yes. Uh, there's That's kind of what the question is, but I'll lay out the facts of why he could be the worst GM ever. Because Brody Van Wagen clearly is not the worst GM ever anymore. Oh, you had him as the worst. Last one, quickly. I don't have a lot of notes on this. We I mentioned to you earlier in passing. Um, adult, former adult film star Mia Khalifa claims she only made twelve thousand uh, dollars appearing on camera. Buying or selling that she only made twelve thousand dollars as an adult film star? I am so selling that. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I think she just wants to be back in the news. I'm not buying that whatsoever. Yeah, I'm, I'm not either. So the greatest offensive team right now. What is the score? We are sending you to Triple A baseball. In Omaha, it's Las Vegas against Omaha. We're going to join the game in progress. It's currently, oh, the Aviators, it's 3-2. We told you, we're setting you up for the comeback. There is going to be a comeback in this game, and you're going to get it right here on A's Cast. What a show we had for you today. And if you weren't here all day long, shame on you. Kerry Crowley from the Bay Area News Group joined us at 4.30, covers the Giants. The great Jose Canseco was here at 4.45. Ben Ross, who covers the A's for NBC Sports California, was here at 5. Barry Zito, the Cy Young Award winner. Barry was here at 5.30. Dave Fleming, one of the voices of the Giants and ESPN, was here at 6. And then the 1989 MVP, Kevin Mitchell at 6.30. We had two MVPs and a Cy Young Award winner all on today's show. What do you think of that? Good producer always brings it back to himself. That you're, you're, you're dang right. What do we got tomorrow? Farhan at four, hopefully voter. Farhan Zaidi, the GM of the – not the GM. What is his president, president of baseball President ops. of baseball operations for the Giants at four. We're going to have Glenn Kuyper. The great Glenn Kuyper to tell us about Little Johnny's in Cleveland. We tried to have his brother, but uh, that got denied. Um, we're going to have Bob Melvin for the Bob Melvin Show. The Bo Mel Show. And we'll have 
the voice of Giants pre and post game, the legend, Marty Laurie at 530. Oh, I love Marty Laurie. And so much more. Might have Stephen Vogt. Hopefully. I'm hope that's the hope. We You're are, efforting. We're efforting voter. We share the same birthday. All righty, that will do it for A's Cast Live. We're sending it to Las Vegas against Omaha, and we'll see you all tomorrow here from 4 to 6 o'clock on A's Cast Live. Have a great night, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.